Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, an animator and tabletop RPG developer, and the hidden 17th Colossus, Adam Bucheri. Hey Adam. Hello. Good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Blue Point hid me in there. Remake. And so I'm glad that you were finally able to discover me. I was the last Easter egg. This was yeah, this was the last Easter egg that all those fans had spent years and years and years combing Shadow of the Colossus for, was to find you and bring you out and get you on the show. And it's, uh, it's great to have you on the show, dude. Before we get into talking about our game for today, which is Shadow of the Colossus, uh, I know you have a lot of like projects and stuff going on. I think uh, there's some cool stuff uh, that you're working on. So would you like to explain some of your stuff? Sure. Uh, So uh, as a hobby, I am a tabletop RPG developer, uh, as you mentioned before, and kind of my flagship project, which I have been working on again, off again for the last year is Enter the Survival Horror which is a forged-in-the-dark tabletop RPG inspired by Resident Evil and the other classics of the survival horror genre. So uh, I think it's really cool, not just because the forged-in-the-dark framework like provides a really compelling and imaginative rule set where you know the mechanics are really an important part of the storytelling, but also because uh, there's some cool... Things that I've added myself, including uh, your characters in that game have instincts, which is explicitly inspired by slash stolen from the skills in Disco Elysium. So, like, yeah. you, will, you will have conversations with yourself as the, these inner voices uh, both try to help you out and lead you astray. So, if you are a fan of Resident Evil, if you're a fan of Disco Elysium, if you're a fan of tabletop RPGs, uh, maybe check out my itch.io page. Yeah, and there's going to be a link to uh, that down in the show notes. So everybody, if you're interested in tabletop RPGs, uh, Disco Elysium game systems adapted to other stuff, uh, you know, I did an episode on Disco Elysium where I basically just praised the hell out of that thought system forever. Yeah, chef kiss, right. It's it's really good. And so like when I saw on your itch page that thing, I was like, hmm, I don't like survival horror and I also don't have anyone to play tabletop games with, but that is a cool fucking idea. So everyone, if you are uh, interested in that, um, go check out that itch.io page. So cool. Enter the survival horror. I've also got other way dumber games out there <laughs> if you want to, to check out some trash. So Okay. Enter the survival horror and uh, unnamed trash. <laughs> his, <laughs> his words. Uh We'll go. Uh, we will definitely put a link in the show notes so people have an easy way to check that stuff out. Again, if you're into uh, survival horror and tabletop, that sounds really cool. Like, 
I I don't have a ton of experience playing tabletop games. I've played a few rounds of D&D, a few rounds of Fate here and there. Survival horror is a kind of interesting genre to adapt to uh, tabletop, I think. It's, uh, it's, it's something I, when I first heard about it, I think I heard you on, uh, I heard them talking about it on Watch Out for Fireballs, maybe, like an mm-hmm. episode there. I was like, huh, that's different from, I just assumed all tabletop games were fantasy adjacent, you know, shows my lack of experience with the genre. Definitely not true, though. Yeah, and I mean, there's, a, you know, this is a truly a golden age for tabletop RPGs. There's a, mm-hmm. a game for anyone under the sun. If you want a game about, like, Mexican soap operas, Pasión de la Pasiones, like, it's genius. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, there's a game for anything and for anyone. Um, and so, of course, like, you can do horror in a lot of different systems, um, but this is a game that's really designed for it and wants to make players feel it, not just with, like, the atmosphere and the, the spooky monsters, but also just, like, baked into the core mechanics. Like, it's a game that really cares about horror and the resource drain and giving you lots of tense, interesting choices. Very cool. So, on today's episode, Adam and I are going to be talking about Shadow of the Colossus, uh, which is an action-adventure game developed by Japan Studio and Team Eco. I assume it's Eco pronunciation. Um, what do you think, Adam? I go, I, Eco, Ico. Uh, I think it's Eco, but uh, uh, I'm not an authority. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, we say with no authority, Team Eco and published by Sony in 2005 on the PS2. That blew me away. 2005, uh, as well as a uh, remake developed by Bluepoint Games, developed in 2018 uh, for the PS4. And the elevator pitch for Shadow of the Colossus, which, like, when my friends told me about this back in college, I was like, holy shit, this sounds like the coolest game ever. So it is uh, a lonely open-world game. Uh, where you are climbing on and taking down the biggest bosses uh, in any action game that you've ever played. And I think that that still holds true, that big bosses part still holds true even today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, like, a really critical part of it, though, is that, like, you're calling it an action game, which it is, but I think it is at least in equal parts a puzzle game, where so much of the game is just about, like, examining the enemy, examining the terrain, figuring out the approach, experimenting, and seeing what happens. And so that makes a nice transition into kind of some opening thoughts about Shadow of the Colossus. And I'm glad you brought up that puzzle aspect, because that is a big part of this. This, Like, there are very large bosses in the old God of War games, but they're not so puzzly. It's kind of just like whatever you see in front of you, you just smash, smash, slice, slice, you know, stuff like that. In Shadow of the Colossus, each boss is its own puzzle to expose its weak point or find out how to get to that weak point. And I think this game is like still in 2022, like one of the more unique games I've ever played. There's really nothing like Shadow of the Colossus that I've ever played. There are a lot of games that take different elements from it, but the total package is still super, super unique. And I, you know, I think this is like 
a game that really stands out from a lot of other games and like I don't I just don't I just don't think we're going to see another game quite like this. This is a just a really singular thing, I think. Yeah, uh I mean <clears throat> I'm glad that you my history with the game is that I got it probably pretty close to launch. I played it at least 6 times then and then this most recent replay, like the only thing that I kept thinking is like, God, what a miracle this game yeah. is. Like it is so singular. Um, and especially because you, you mentioned before, and this is the thing that I can't get over and I never will get over about this game is that it came out in 2005 on the PlayStation two, right? Like an absolutely staggering achievement on the PlayStation 2 hardware. Right. And I mean, I feel like I'm going to spend a lot of words over the course of this episode, like trying to put that into perspective for for people who weren't there, for people who were introduced to this with the the remake. You know, maybe it's just like, oh, it's it's very good looking. It's really cool. It's got a creative art direction. But like in 2005, like it was astounding like it was a revelation in, in so many categories like not just in in this open world which really wasn't a thing like this is basically predates what the modern conception of an open world game mm-hmm. the art direction is absolutely timeless it looks incredible nothing looks like this game one of the first examples of dynamic music in a game mm-hmm. Which still, like, I mean, this soundtrack is engraved in my soul. Like, I (laughs) know these songs by heart. And then also, like, from this animation perspective, I mean, the things that this game does with animation are things that you still don't see almost ever, even in modern games with modern technology. Like, the ability to climb on a monster and have them react and... Like, just the, the tangibility and the interaction. Like, it is truly phenomenal stuff. Even even now, even in 2022, like, I think this game is remarkable. And the fact that it came out 20 years ago is just absurd. It's impossible. It really is. And, like, I've covered a few PS2 games on the show. Uh, Silent Hill 2 and Kingsfield 4. Yeah, I think that's about it so far. But, like, I didn't have a PS2 back in the day. So just thinking back to, like, you know, what I was playing back then, I had an original Xbox, you know, like that. I was playing, like, I was playing Morrowind on the Xbox. That's basically all all I was mm-hmm. playing in 2005. And just thinking about the difference between, like, what the technical demands of running Morrowind versus, like, this. And, like, I know it's it's a little bit different in Morrowind. You have a lot of, like, quests and you know trouble you know (laughs) flagging quests and stuff you know classic bethesda stuff that persists to this day um and like giant open worlds and full of caves and stuff like that to uh to do but like this feels like it should have been impossible without you know i don't i obviously don't know a ton about programming but just to think like okay i've played some ps2 games recently and then I played this and I'm like, whoa, this is, you know, this this feels very modern in a lot of ways. And then when I looked it up and I was like, oh, that right, that was 2005. That's kind of crazy to me. 
another technological miracle that they had, aside from loading into the games and when it teleports you or if it uh, you die and have to reload, no load times. Totally seamless. 2005. Yeah. So that's a pretty natural segue to talk about our personal histories with this kind of in a little bit more detail. So you you started out by saying that you played this uh, at release. Um, is there anything else with your like personal history with it that you want to share? I mean, I, I don't think I got it quite at release. I think I probably got it like a year or two afterwards because okay. th- this was a college game for me. Mm-hmm. And this was in the regular rotation with like Resident Evil 4 and Metal Gear Solid 3 as like, <laughs> you know, just these games that were changing like what I thought games could be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just just an incredibly, incredibly special game to uh, have kind of hit you at that age, you know. And did you play the uh, Blue Point remake? So, well, uh so to speak, because what I hadn't realized, so this time uh, I've owned the game on PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, and PlayStation 4. Right. Um, <laughs> this time, due to circumstances, uh, I wasn't able to play on my PlayStation 4, so what I went for instead was playing uh, it on a PC emulator. Right. So I played the PS3 version on an emulator. And what I didn't realize until this playthrough is that Bluepoint also developed that PlayStation 3 remaster. Oh, um, interesting. So I thought that okay. was kind of fascinating uh, as just like, um, you know, kind of a, a step along the evolutionary chain that I wasn't aware of. Right. And maybe for like Bluepoint as a company, uh, too, now that they are the, you know, next gen remake slash remaster company that's that's what they do i maybe they uh i don't know a whole lot about their company history but that is interesting that they also did that ps3 remaster uh that's pretty cool yeah so so the spirit of your question was no i have not played the uh 2018 remake okay cool uh for me that's the only version of the game that i that i had played up until like last week so I didn't have a PlayStation until PS4. I was always Xbox and oh. Nintendo. So this was always just that game that like my friends were like, hey, dude, you got to check out Shadow of the Colossus. And I was like, yeah, you want to let me borrow your PS3? And they were like, no. So I was like, okay, well, good talk, dude. Um, so I never got a chance to play it until I got my PS4 in like 2019 or so. And they gave away the Blue Point remake on PS Plus. So that was my like, okay, it's time. It is time to play Shadow of the Colossus. So I have played the Blue Point remake twice. I streamed it uh, at the time of recording recently. I streamed it and uh, had a good time going through it on my New Game Plus. Uh, we'll talk about that experience a little bit later. And then in the past week, since I finished that replay, I started to, I tried to emulate it on PC, but my computer can't handle I get Shadow of the Colossus is still it seems like it's still a very demanding game for even emulators and modern computers and I just couldn't do it. I mean, my computer's not exactly like capital M modern, but like mm-hmm. I can emulate most PS2 games but not this one. Um and I also <laughs> streamed the the PS3 version is on PS Now. Um 
as you're listening to this, uh, we just got word, like at the time of recording, that they're going to switch PS Now into this new PS Plus service. At the time of uh, playing it, though, it was called PS Now, and uh, I was able to stream the PS3 version a little bit and play it just to see some of the differences. And I know we're going to have a little discussion later about kind of the differences in the merits of both versions of the game or all three versions of the game. (laughs) But that's my history with it. Uh, The Blue Point remake is, in my head, it is the the game, really, because it's the one I have the most experience with, other than just kind of tooling around with that PS3 remaster a little bit. So Let's uh let's get into it. And uh before we do the spoiler policy for this episode is uh basically the same as all other um episodes of the show. We're not going to talk about the story much uh before the spoiler wall because this game gives you its story setup and then it's very like you're just kind of doing the stuff for a long time and then story hits way at the end, I think. So we're going to save that for the spoiler section and maybe some specific talks about like what I liked about this specific Colossus. Maybe we'll talk about that in the spoiler section too. So totally. again, no worries if you haven't played the game. We're not going to spoil uh, what this game is doing, even though some of that is something that makes the game very special. But I want people to experience that for the first time uh, without being spoiled if possible. So We are going to take a little music break. When we come back, we're going to get into what Shadow of the Colossus is all about. Shadow of the Colossus, starting with the story setup. Uh, in the game, you play as the main character named Wander, who is uh, traveling with his horse named Agro. Agro. Ag- I say Agro because I'm an American and I've just been trained that way, uh, but he pronounces it Agro. And you are bringing a woman. Uh, her name is Mono, I'm going to guess, since it's a Japanese game. She is on the back of your horse. Uh, she is obviously not well, and uh, Wander is bringing her into this kind of ruined and unpopulated area, and it's called the Forbidden Land. The only way to get into the Forbidden Land is through a very small gap in the mountains, and then you go across the biggest bridge I've ever seen in anything, uh, the longest bridge, to get into this uh, shrine. It's called the Shrine of Worship. And what Wander hopes is that there is a magical entity called Dorman in the shrine uh, that can resurrect her or, uh, yeah, resurrect her. She, uh, we, we kind of find out a little bit about what happened to her, and I'm just going to say we're going to try to resurrect her. And Dorman instructs Wander that the way to do this, like he... Dorman will help Wander if you go out and you defeat the 16 colossi that are scattered around uh, the world. And so yeah. this is what you're doing uh, throughout the whole game. You have these 16 bosses to go defeat, and 
The story really takes a backseat until you beat all 16. So that's your story setup. I also want to note that for the the bargain that happens between your character and Dorman, uh, it is explicitly and textually a devil's bargain where mm-hmm. Dorman says, you know, I will do you this favor, but you have to do this for me and you're not going to like where this ends up. And your character just says, I don't care, whatever the price. Yeah, good, uh, good point. And like I said before, the story is extremely minimal through here. There's not a lot of dialogue. Uh, the only real dialogue you get is that when you defeat a Colossus, you go back to the Shrine of Worship. Dorman gives you like two sentences of a hint about where the next Colossus is and what it is, and that's it. There is really like no, yeah, like no dialogue at all. And this this really sets up this um, kind of atmosphere and setting that this game has where this is one of the loneliest games I've ever played. It is it is literally just you and your horse in this giant, empty, open world. There is nobody to talk to. Uh, like I said, Dorman is not having conversations with you. He's just like, okay, cool, you killed the first one. Here's where the second one is, and that's it. So uh, this, this setting and this atmosphere that this game has, I think, is really, really uh, special. Absolutely. That that feeling of isolation is something that I I've come to learn that I really seek out in games. Like that's something that I find really appealing in like a Metroid or a Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. And I think this game does it, you know, best in class. Basically, I think other games maybe match it, but I don't think any game does it better. Um, one of the wonderful little details that I love is you're talking about like these dialogues that happen between your character and Dorman, which, first of all, uh, minor note aside, your character and the girl are never named in the game. Those are, like, uh, I think just word from the developer, like how they oh, refer okay. to them. Right. But in the game, you know, you, you call out the name of your horse, Agro, and then Dorman is named, and I think that's it. Like, you are, like, it is so scarce and so sparse. And also, um, the language that they speak is made up for this game. It's not a real language. Right. And that just, like, helps add to this feeling of, like, loneliness and separation and isolation. Um, Mm -hmm. Kind of creating a universal language by removing a real language, um, which I find, like, a tremendously brave choice creatively. It really cuts out a lot of like familiarity that you might have and really play, really builds this kind of lonely atmosphere that you have. Like, in addition to no one is out there to talk to, uh, when people do talk, you're like you said, it's this made up language. It doesn't sound like anything that any of us would understand. Uh, you know, you have subtitles, and then again, you get like two lines of dialogue every hour or so. And that's that's all you get. And then you go out into this open world, and we've talked a little bit about this open world uh, before, but it is empty. It is like empty, empty. There is nobody there. There, the only signs of life are some animals, basically. Um, and uh, you <laughs> you have to kill those animals uh, to 
increase your stats. Well, some of them. There's like some lizards, there's some birds, and that's about it. Uh, other than that, it's all crumbled ruins, you know, bridges that have broken, uh, stuff like that. And so you you get the feeling that like this land was prosperous, but like thousands of years ago, like it has been a long time since there's been anything going on here. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned early, earlier on, um, when you arrive to this land, you cross the the largest bridge (laughs) that's ever been. (laughs) And for people who haven't played the game, I encourage you to at the very least go look at that opening cutscene so you can see the bridge because the scale of it is staggering. And I I feel like that's such a strong thesis statement for the world itself, where it is huge, like the scale that we're dealing with and like the implied Mm -hmm. storytelling of like who lived here, who created these, you know, the shrine of worship is this enormous tower, you know, just staggering in scale, completely abandoned. Everything around it is just wasteland. And it just, you know... It's just such a powerful feeling of isolation and history to it. And I think yeah. that that history, like, this is going to come up often, I think, but um, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus were huge inspirations uh, for Dark Souls and those related games. Right. And there's a lot of shared DNA in that, like, archaeological storytelling of just, like, coming across these, like, compelling ruins, these interesting structures, and wondering what they could have been for and who would have lived here and how they fit into the world and feeling like there are answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. But you are, like, there's, there's, you get the feeling that, like, this place has been abandoned so long that if anyone, like, you know, wrote down their history that's been lost also like it has been so long since this was prosperous in any way like this place it's um it's cool and another thing i really like about this and it 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 plays into this kind of lonely feeling that you have and we're gonna use this comparison to dark souls but in the way that like this was an inspiration for something that i really love in the souls series is that uh when you're out in the open world in this game, there is no music uh, at all. Mm-hmm. It is silent. The only thing you can hear is, you know, the wind, the animals, the sounds of uh, the horse's um, hooves as you you ride across the world. And that's it. And so you have a lot of time to, like, you have a lot of time and, like, brain space to ride through here, see something, and, like, think to yourself, okay, I... I wonder what the deal with that place was. And there's nothing really to distract you uh, other than, you know, maintaining your course on the horse. And like, I'm glad you mentioned how big this world is because like, it's empty and it is huge. So when you're riding out to go find the next Colossus, you are going to ride in a straight line or, you know, through canyons and stuff like that for several minutes. And you're not going to really have anything to entertain you in the way that a lot of video games would you have time to look at stuff and think and think about what just la- what happened in the last uh, fight against the last colossus and stuff like that it's a lot of like lonely self-reflecting time and like crucially i think uh especially on a first playthrough 
there is stuff to contemplate. Like there's stuff to think and to feel and to like puzzle over. Mm-hmm. And so I really welcomed that downtime. Um, you know, simple navigation challenges. It's not ever really too complicated to get to the next Colossus, but just giving you a couple minutes to cool down after like what a rush the previous Colossus was like, that's an incredible high. And then you just need like this cool down period in order to, to think and to prepare and to, yeah, question, you know, questioning is is an integral part of the experience to me. Right. And we're not going to spoil what you're meant to be thinking about and questioning in that regard, but there are things to be like, Hmm. I wonder, you know, (laughs) as you're riding through the world, uh, doing that stuff, there are like very brief kind of diversions when you're out in the world. There are these, uh, temples that usually have these, um, these lizards with these bright blue, uh, glowing tails. You need to shoot the lizards with your bow. Uh, and I believe that increases your stamina, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about what you need stamina for, uh, in the gameplay section. And then you'll also find these kind of groves that have these trees and you shoot the fruit down from the trees with your bow and you eat the fruit and that increases your maximum health. But like, that's it. That, that's really all the diversions you have. And yep. on the ride from the shrine to the next Colossus, you might come across one or two places to go, you know, shoot some lizards or eat some fruit. Other than that, it's all just empty. Um, and as you're going through the world, uh, the camera, and this is something that I assumed was only in the blue point version, but then playing the old version, I saw, nope, it was like this in the old version too. The camera purposely takes you out of the center of the frame, the way that all video games do. And it puts you down in the corner, uh, a lot of times, and it really just focuses on this landscape as you're going through. And it gives you adds to like this sense of scale and like this place is huge and you are insignificant in this place and i was really happy to see uh in the ps3 version that this camera work was in the original version because it a man again it's another one of those things that must have been so hard to get this right like because a lot of video games don't do this you are in the smack dab in the center of the screen all the time in video games but not this one yeah it, it it composes the frame according to the rule of thirds. Like, it wants to very deliberately create a painting with what you're you're looking at. Um, and it, for me, you know, it, it completely works. I think these are, you know, absolutely stunning vistas and the, the deliberate composition. Um, I, I will say, and this is going to be something else that comes up a little bit uh, mm-hmm. as it goes on. This does feel like a not, and maybe this is just the PS3 version versus the Bluepoint remake. It doesn't feel like a perfectly polished product. It has like a little roughness, a little bit of almost amateurish to it, where if you're like moving serpentine, if you're going left to right, the camera will kind of swing wildly because it's trying to compose these shots, but like you keep changing what it's trying to do. Right. Um, and there are like other things that are like that, which like from modern sensibilities maybe don't feel perfectly correct in the way that we understand 
the controller and the the layout so perfectly now you know x is reload you know you you click the analog stick to run like those are just like baked into games now like we've just figured it out yeah so much <laughs> and this is this feels like it's part of that playstation 2 like still experimental still figuring it out still has some rough edges to it um which for me is continues to be part of the charm it is and like i was gonna say with that camera work it it does get frustrating sometimes when like you you need to look ahead and like you know because you have a oh you you have like a t intersection coming up and you need to decide which way to go but the camera's pulled you way down in the corner because it wants to compose this shot and so in a way like i'm sometimes i'm like okay i i see why all video games do put you smack dab in the middle the middle of the frame all the time right um and it does get frustrating like you said the camera does swing from side to side if you're making too many adjustments with like what you're doing but you know for all of the times where i was like ooh, this camera's you know really kind of rough like right now for all of those times, there were, you know, five other times where I was like, uh, man, I love how they're framing this right now. Because uh, you're you're just running across, you know, an empty field a lot of times or something like that. So the camera is giving you a different way to look at this and kind of appreciate this because actually you as the player are not doing anything during these long rides, uh, especially like big open sections where you're not even you know, navigating a bridge or something. It's literally just like, <laughs> I'm going to ride straight across this field for two minutes, which mm. again, two minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time, but when you're playing a game and you're literally just holding forward on the control stick for two minutes, that is a long time. So the camera and the way that they frame it does make it feel epic. And it makes it feel deliberate to me. That's a good word. Yeah. <laughs> And that kind of plays in with the the controls, which you mentioned. The, the controls are of the era where controls hadn't been super standardized like they are now, like you said, where like I feel like every PS2 game I play has wildly different control schemes. Um, you know, I, I believe in this game has, uh, in the PS3 version, it has, if you press the, camera view stick the right stick if you press it left the camera turns right which is not the way that modern games work and when i first turned that on i was like what the fuck like this is how this used to be like what is this uh and i switch yeah. you can change it in the options uh but so so really wild <laughs> um by default i believe the camera axis is inverted so if you press right the camera looks left but right. when you go into like shooting a bow mode, pushing right moves it right. Oh, <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> really inconsistent. But you know, that's that's just kind of how games were back then. That sentence right there, that's how games were back then. It is uh one of my actual like one of my pet peeves for people like explaining away, you know, like what I would what I would consider to be like strange decisions or, you know, if we go f way further back, actual bad game design, I think. Yes. I don't think this is bad game design. But like, it, it does kind of make this stand out. And even in the, the Bluepoint version, the controls are still weird. You're, they are not, you know, 
like every other third-person action game controls, even in the remake. Uh, they they did switch the camera axis, at least. Uh, <laughs> but it, it does kind of make this game stand out as its own thing, almost like a like an art piece of a kind, like where y- you have every other game and the way that they feel to play, and then you have Shadow of the Colossus and the way that it feels to play, and especially with the way that the camera works. Um, during the open world and then when you're in the boss fights too, the camera work is like 20% super frustrating, but 80% like really, really cool and really different. And they pull it off more often than they don't, I think. Totally. And, you know, I don't know if if we have an explicit note to talk about it, but this game has a dedicated uh, look at the incredible thing button so <laughs> yeah. when you're when you're fighting a colossus you know it focuses on the colossus but it doesn't just have the camera point at it like a dark souls lock-on like it again composes that shot and it really frames it uh in a way that feels unique yeah it's good it's really good it it is and like like i said sometimes the gameplay suffers because of that i think it like it gets yeah. frustrating sometimes but most of the time, it's incredible. And I'm willing to put up with, like I said, the 20% of the time when I'm like, man, if this camera would just chill for a second, for the 80% where I'm like, wow, look at look at what they've done here with this. Like, this is amazing. To, to your point earlier, though, you're talking about like hand-waving away bad design uh, because it's an old game and we didn't know better, you know? Uh, think about, like, all of the, compli- the complicated dance you have to do in order to shoot a gun in first person in Metal Gear Solid. Like, <laughs> you need a flowchart. Well, there's a difference between, like, we didn't know better and a lot of, like, when I, t- when I talk about, this is people's, like, defense for old arcade games and stuff that was like genuinely predatory sometimes. And they're like, well, Mm -hmm. that's just the way it was. And I'm like, it didn't have to be that way. But you know, when we're talking about like the evolution of controls, like getting into first person in Metal Gear Solid or just basically everyone, the industry coming together on a control scheme that is comfortable and somewhat standardized. Like I'm not saying that that's bad design. People were experimenting with this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But to that point, while there is some strange design, while there is some somewhat frustrating camera stuff, I think a really important thing to note about this game is that it's not super challenging. Like, it's yeah. pretty breezy. The consequences are pretty low. You're struggling with these controls and something goes wrong and you end up falling off a Colossus and you lose one fifth of your health bar and it's mm-hmm. fine. Like, because it is so forgiving and so generous in that aspect, like, it really gives me a lot of goodwill to to not feel cranky about the fact that I'm not able to perfectly execute whatever my little guy is trying to do. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the worst that's going to happen, and there is one Colossus, I think, where this is, like, genuinely really frustrating uh, the worst that's going to happen is you're you're going to lose a little bit of time because you've solved the puzzle to get on the colossus and then something happens and you fall off now you have to do that thing again to get back on so yeah. you're going to have to spend a few more minutes or on one of them later you're going to have to spend several minutes uh trying to get it back together but 
yeah, you're right. For the most part, this this game is not a super challenging game. And uh, I think this is a good time to take a little music break and uh, come back and talk about what it's like to actually play this game. So gameplay in Shadow of the Colossus is uh, kind of, we started with that open world. You'll be spending a lot of time riding aggro through the open world. Aggro is your horse. And stopping from time to time to collect some fruit or eat some lizard tails. But what you're really doing is you are, every time, making your way from the Shrine of Worship to the location of the next Colossus uh, boss fight. And so... This game, uh, we, we should have mentioned before, we can mention it now, uh, <laughs> there's very minimal uh, UI for this game. There's no mini-map, there is no uh, beacon in the distance telling you where the next Colossus is. Uh, really, all you have is your health and your stamina meters that come up on the screen, and those go away uh, if you're not in combat, really. If you're not using them, they go away. So you're going through with like basically no stuff on the screen um so the way you find the colossi which i find to be uh cool and sometimes frustrating but mostly cool is uh, you have a dedicated button to hold up your sword and uh you hold it up and this kind of like beam of light will come off of your sword and you kind of rotate your character around to focus the beam of light and when it's perfectly focused it will be shining in the direction of the next Colossus. And it's like a straight line beam. So sometimes you have to do a little bit of navigating to be like, okay, this thing's going through the ground right now. The Colossus is below me. I have to figure out how to get down there. But that's all the direction you get. Um, And my first playthrough, I think, of the 16 Colossi, this worked perfectly for like 13 or 14 of them. There were a couple where I had to look up on the internet like okay i am lost where is this thing um you also have a map at least in the blue point version you have a map that starts out empty and when you beat a colossus it will fill in where that colossus was and they don't repeat locations so if you're really lost you can open up the map and be like okay i haven't been to this area that's the general area where the beam is pointing let me just head over there and see what i can find um, did you find this kind of following the beam to be uh, intuitive? So uh, I'm just going to quickly comment on the difference between the map in the PlayStation 2 version, PlayStation okay. 3 version, versus uh, the remake. The map in the the original is genuinely worthless and okay. does not help you navigate in any Very way. Classic um, PS2 game maps, right? It's evocative, but it's not useful um, right. mechanically. <laughs> Uh, as far as the sword and the beam of light as navigation, um, I this that is an unqualified win for me. I love the the sword beam as a navigation tool, and like as I was playing it this time, I just kept thinking about how rare this kind of thing is. Like to have a diegetic 
navigation system that doesn't rely on these metatextual UI elements. And mm-hmm. how how much I like that, how much I want that in my games. And I'm trying to think of examples. And what I got is in Firewatch, you've got a physical map and a compass, and that's how you navigate. And uh-huh. in Ghost of Tsushima, you set a waypoint and the wind directs you. And that's right. it. I could only think of two examples <laughs> in in all of the time since its original release where they tried to do something similar to this. And like, it just feels really rare and special to me. And it's like, it's truly a diegetic tool. It exists within the fiction of the world. Your sword is focusing the beams of the sun, which means if there's not sun, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And there will be areas <laughs> that are, that are in shadow and you hold your sword up and it's just these feeble little, you know, rays that don't do anything Mm -hmm. um and that becomes not part of the puzzle because again the navigation usually isn't a big deal unless you take that wrong turn now you're in who knows where uh because the map is useless but for the most part um i i found it works as intended and i just find it really pleasing as a tool in the game because um, not only do you use it as part of your navigation to get to the Colossus, but when you do get to the Colossus, you shine your sword up onto the Colossus itself to expose their weak points. So you know right. where you need to, to target them. And again, that's just like the coolest thing in the world to me is like, it's part of this, um, this reconnaissance phase where you go up, you're sizing up the Colossus and spoiler, it's big. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And you're trying to figure out where the weak point is. And you're like, okay, that one, I can kind of see how to get up. That one, okay, that makes sense. That one, what even am I supposed to do about that? Like, uh, a minor spoiler for a future Colossus, one of them has a weak point on the palm of their hand. And when I first realized that, I was like, what am I supposed to do? And so you have like a kind of a puzzle that once you figure out where that weak point is, it becomes a puzzle to get to the palm of that Colossus' hand and just figure out, like, he's not putting his hand down near the ground, so how do I jump in? Because you you jump and you grab onto their fur, or you can climb if they're wearing armor and they have, you know, lips and ledges, you can climb on their, their armor and stuff. But that that's basically what this is you you find the colossus using the the beam of light um you use the beam of light or you don't you can do this without doing that um i i think i think you get like a tutorial pop up that says like shine it on the colossus to reveal its weak point and then i forgot and so you don't need to do this but it is helpful those tutorial messages are also diegetic because it's the voice of dorman like right. kind of uh goading you on to to complete your quest. Very voice of God coming down from the sky. Uh, mm. And while we're on the subject, those messages, if I do have like a few small nitpicks for this game, other than, you know, the camera gets frustrating sometimes, uh, those hints come down pretty quickly. Like th- this game doesn't seem to want you to spend five minutes figuring it out. It'll let you spend like a couple minutes and then Dorman will come down and say like, you know, do such and such to progress the puzzle. And that's one thing where, uh, like, 
I was stuck and I was trying to figure it out. And I feel like those messages came a little bit too quickly. You know, let let me spend a little bit of time. I I guess I don't know if they wanted to just increase the amount of time before that happens or maybe give you a like a call doorman button. That would be weird, but uh, I feel like a modern uh, version would just give you like a, you know, click both the thumbsticks and Dorman will give you a hint, you know, so, something like yeah. that would would be more welcome because yeah, Dorman can be a, a little. I know Dorman. I know. OK. Yeah, exactly. There, there are several it. times where he would be like, you know, do such and such to make the beast expose its weak point. And I was like, man, you told me that 30 seconds ago. I'm still trying to figure this out. And yeah. actually, like, in a way, it does feel kind of diegetic in a way. You know, Dorman wants you to get this done. Uh, so he's like, yeah. hey, man, like, come on, let's do this. Like, did you not hear me the first time? That, But, you know, in practice, it is a little bit annoying. Um, but what you are trying to do is uh, figure out how to either reach the weak point of the Colossus or later on they start to, like, cover the weak points and you have to figure out Number one, how to expose it, and then how to get to it. And there are 16 of these, and so there are basically 16 big walking, moving puzzles. The Colossi are, they range from, like, not very aggressive to, like, very aggressive. And again, this this game's not super hard. Even if you, I think my first playthrough, I maybe died a handful of times in the whole game. You would think that if one of them hits you because they are like 50 times the size of your character, that they would just smash you like an insect, but they they just hurt you a little bit. So, Adam, did you find these puzzles to be intuitive and uh, fun to figure out how to take these things down? Yes. I'm going to loop back around to that because I also do just want to camp out real quick and just talk about the art direction on these colossus and just how spectacular they look yeah um they they do not look like any other fantasy creature in any other show movie game anything they are unique in media they are they really straddle the line between being like organic things or being made of stone perhaps and then they've got fur or is that moss on them but they're also Mm -hmm. buildings like they've just got like oh this one's just got a buttress on it like yeah (laughs) and describing it like that it feels like it shouldn't work but like i mean god these are incredible visual designs like i love how they look and each of the colossus has the most beautiful eyes. Yes, these um like swirling pools, like unblinking, un un uh, unemoting, but like these just swirling pools of energy uh for their eyes. And a big part of the appeal to the, of this game is like you're you're fighting these creatures that are enormous and sometimes scary but also sad like it mm-hmm. is uh i don't think i i'm spoiling it to say that like from the get-go as you are fighting these creatures like once you fell the first colossus like there is a thought where it's just like 
it is a crime to do this. Like, it is a sin to kill something this beautiful, this unique. Especially the ones, like, really early, because when you get to them, you know, you don't walk in on them destroying stuff, you know? They're just chilling. They're hanging out. And you walk in, they see you. A lot of them are not even aggressive to you when they first see you until you, you know, take the fight to them. And then, yeah, like you said, once you take them down, even very early in the game, uh, and there's a couple of other things that play into this too, but you do get this feeling like, hmm, I don't feel great about that. You know, like this was this epic victory against this giant creature, but I should feel amazing about what I've done, but I don't. And uh, I, I think the design is a big part of that. Uh, as well as the music, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, the the soaring high that you feel as you solve the puzzle and you bring this impossibly huge thing down, uh, contrasted with just like the crushing low of the way the shot is composed as it falls, the music that plays, and it's just like this real intentional whiplash as you like mentally go like, yeah, I did that versus like, Oh no, I did that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Uh, incredible. So to, to loop back around to your original question, uh, as puzzles, did I like them as puzzles? Did I find them satisfying? I would say with one or two exceptions. Yes. I think these are great little puzzle fights. I think that, um, one of the things that, like, uh, just philosophically, if I'm watching a movie or something and I'm kind of evaluating a fight, um, one of the things I'm always judging is, are they using the environment? Are they taking into account the place? Is the space meaningful to where you are? And that is always true in this game. Like, it's not just that you're fighting these unique creatures and each one of them is shaped differently and has a different number of limbs and moves differently and is some of them are on the land, some of them are in the water, some of them are in the air. And how do you approach that? How do you deal with that? But also, the arenas that they're in are really unique and tailored to them. And you Mm -hmm. have to figure out how to read the space and how to leverage that to your advantage. And like that is hugely satisfying to me. I find that very compelling to just... I don't know, just just as a uh, experience, you know, it's a it's yeah. a boss fight, it's a puzzle, it's uh, it's everything at once, and it's just just works. It's just really good stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I don't know if you're aware of this fact, but originally, like during the original pitch of this game, they planned something like fifty Colossus. Yeah, like, I had heard that. Yeah, <laughs> and um. I'm of the opinion that, like, thank goodness that they cut it down to this 16. It feels like an almost perfect number for this kind of experience. I I would not say no to a sequel, but, like, I love the length and the scope of this game. Yeah, I, I'm kind of thinking, like, this is not a long game. This game takes 10 hours or less to beat for on your first yeah. playthrough, unless you're spending a ton of time finding stuff in the open world. Uh, This is not a long game. And my New Game Plus replay took about three and a half to four hours. Like, very short game. 
and I don't even though when this game ended I was like I wasn't quite ready for it to end I don't think this game would be better if it was 25 hours long so like I think you're right this is a really just well paced and it's over before you get tired of it it's it's really uh, really good in that way with the um the colossi themselves i just like i just remember this feeling my first playthrough of almost all of them when you go into the arena you get this little cutscene of the colossus like waking up or making some kind of entrance or turning around and seeing you or something like that and you always have this feeling of like holy shit what am i supposed to do with that <laughs> thing like yep this thing is this thing is either it is giant like like i said it is and the way like the camera shakes when you're close to it when it takes a step um you really feel how big these things are as well as uh seeing them and then then it's on like and again i think it's really good that a lot of them are not super aggressive toward you they give you time to like run around and be like, huh, okay, I think I see some fur up there that I can grab onto. Now, how do I get it to bend down? Or how do I get it to uh, do something? Oh, this one's got a big sword. Most of them don't have swords. Okay, he's stabbing the ground with the sword. What do I need to do to, like, you know, get up there? And so, like, the puzzle is on. And for about, I would say for about half of these, I figured them out pretty naturally and for mm. maybe like four or five i needed a hint from Dorman to like uh help me and then the other ones i had to look up or like when i was streaming i would be like you know someone in the chat i'd be like guys i don't know what the hell i'm supposed to do with this one someone give me a hint but for the most part i think they are i will like just give the little disclaimer that i'm not great at puzzles this kind of puzzle especially like i get frustrated and my mind i hit like a block pretty easily when i do puzzles so for me personally to be able to figure out most of them uh is i i think they are intuitive and a, a lot of them are quite fun uh there are a couple that i think are uh, not very fun we'll talk about them in the spoiler section but overall i think they're they're mostly a win uh, as far as like the gameplay of figuring out these puzzles, uh, how to get to the weak points. Yeah. And even if you're not having a great time with the Colossus, if you're just like, this one's kind of a bummer, 20 minutes later, you're going to be riding off to a new one and it's already in the rear view mirror just yep. because it's so well paced and it's so breezy. So, right. I don't think there are any points of friction in this game that are like, that really get stuck in my craw, you know? Even even at its most frustrating, it's still pretty breezy. Yeah. I I don't see this as a game that like someone would be like, man, I just like I am just so stuck and frustrated, I'm quitting this game. I don't really see that happening as, as often as it might in a lot of other games. Um so when you find that weak point, um what you have to do is uh climb and so you have these climbing controls uh it is like if you've played uncharted or horizon zero dawn or any any of these other games where you're climbing up ledges this is what you're doing in shadow of the colossus it feels like a 
kind of proto version of the way climbing works in those other games, because this game came out before all of those other games. Um, and, but it is one of those things where it's like, you get to learn the types of things that you can climb on and the types of things that you can't climb on. And you have a stamina meter while you're climbing, uh, which can be increased again by eating those lizard tails. I think it's the lizard tails that increase your stamina. Yeah, the lizard, the tails increase your stamina and the fruit increase your health. And there's another thing that increases the power of your sword. Uh, I think it's like praying at statues or something like that, I think. Maybe I'm just making oh. that up. Or it might be part of the, the remake that I'm unfamiliar with. It might with. be, might be, yeah. Uh, as a minor note, I will say that none of those upgrades are going to make the difference. There's no situation where you're going to be like, oh, if only I would gotten a couple more lizards, I could have pulled it off. Like, yeah, you have enough of the health and stamina um, to get through the game without uh, any additional content. It's just if you want an excuse to engage with the world more. That and having a bunch more stamina makes a lot of the Colossi fights like really uh, easy. Like the, the normal rhythm is like you find the weak point, you find how to get there, you climb up to it. And then you hang on for dear life as the Colossus tries to shake you off and you stabbing this weak point with your sword over and over again. And, you know, once you do that, once you finally hit the weak point, a health bar will come up and sometimes the weak point will change. Like, you know, you stab this one twice, then a new weak point comes up and you have to climb over Mm -hmm. to that one. On your new game cycle, uh, you'll run out of stamina at some point and you'll you'll fall off, or you'll have to jump off, and then you'll have to do that thing again to get back up there, uh, which prolongs the fight and gives it this really epic feeling like, okay, time for pass number two to go on. In New Game Plus, you keep your stamina and health from New Game. So this was kind of a thing that I liked and hated, because my replay uh, that I did was on New Game Plus. I liked that I didn't need to hunt for lizards anymore because i didn't really like doing that but Mm. uh the colossus fights lasted you know 30 seconds each because i never (laughs) ran out of stamina and so it did lose a little bit of this epic feeling on the new game plus run because you could literally just hold on forever and you stab stab it'll try to shake you off by this point in new game i would have had to jump off but i still have 80 percent of my stamina left so i just there were only about five Colossi that I had to jump off of and redo. Uh, and mm. some of them later in the game will do stuff like diving underwater that makes you let go and kind of restart yeah. the thing. Uh, but in New Game Plus, it was a lot easier and it did kind of lose that epic like feeling of like this is going to take a lot of energy and effort to bring this thing down uh, that a lot of the, the fights do have, uh, which is great. It's one of the best parts about the gameplay is this you know process you know some of these colossi take a long time to bring down on new game not on new game plus <laughs> um i want to camp out on that stamina meter yeah uh, a little bit more real quick because i i think it's really elegant first of all it's multi-purpose so the stamina meter functions as like your grip meter how long you can hold on to stuff but it's also things like 
how long can you hold your breath? And you also use the same meter as like a visual indicator for like how charged up your sword stab is. Mm-hmm. So just from a UI perspective, I think it's elegant and and well done. Um, but also we're talking about like solving the puzzle of these colossus and getting to where you need to go. And that is probably most of it. But then the other part of it is actually holding on for dear life and getting the stabbing done, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) is made complicated by the fact that they are constantly trying to shake you off. And when they try to shake you off, boy, do you get shook around like a little rag doll? I mean, Uh the, the, just, you know, head over heels, like getting thrown about constantly uh, that happens to this guy is uh, fabulous to watch. And again, another one of those animation things that just like is really remarkable to me. Um, yeah, I, I think it's so cool. The the physicality that it brings to it. Um, but as you're playing, like something that you should be considering is just like, how can I like little efficiencies that you can do where, okay, so he's throwing me off. My stamina meter is low, but after I bait out this big shake that he's going to do, he's going to try to shake me off. And after that, he's going to need a couple seconds to rest. And during that time I can let go of the grip button and kind of get some of that stamina back. Mm -hmm. And like, Oh, if I'm over here on his shoulder, I can, I can let go and, you know, have just a quick breather before I go back to uh, trying to scale his arm, which is, you know, he's really going to be be tough on that. So finding these little ways that you can do it, you know, oh, instead of climbing down this, I'm going to just like go into free fall and hope that I can grab it on the way down. Right. Because that's going <laughs> to make the difference. Or um, like a, a kind of hidden mechanic is when you jump, if you press the grab button and the sword stab button at the same time, you'll kind of do a Dark Souls style plunging attack, which can save you time for, for charging your sword because charging your sword takes a long time. Yeah, takes a few seconds. It takes three or four seconds of, of real time, which during a high pressure situation, that can be an eternity. And so... You know, you're constantly having to read the body language of the Colossus, how much it's trying to shake you off. And it's like, can I get off a fully charged stab or do I have to get off only a half stab? And how much you charge it is directly proportional to how much damage you do. And if you only do, you know, barely charged stabs, you're barely doing any damage. You really want those big, slow charge stabs in order to take its life bar down. Uh, Mm -hmm. in an effective time but sometimes you just it's just too fast it's just too aggressive it's just shaking you too much and you just have to get anything you can right you get in these situations constantly where you are like let's say a colossus is flying through the sky and you're on its back Mm -hmm. you can like you have this kind of a little bit of risk reward where you're like i can slowly climb along its back because even if something is completely horizontal, you can still use this climbing uh, mechanic. I can climb mm. along its back, and I'll be safe if it decides to, you know, do a barrel roll or something. Or I can get up and run. I can run across its back. My stamina will recharge, but if this thing shifts, I might go flying off the side of it, and then I have to do this, you know, I have to do the puzzle again to get back onto its back. And so there's a lot of times where you know, maybe you're being careful for 
a lot of the process getting close to that weak point, but then you can see it and it's within reach and you're like, okay, fuck it. I'm going for it. And you let go and you run up to the weak point. Um, all the weak points have a, uh, you know, the fur there. So you can grab onto where the weak point is all every single mm-hmm. one of them. Uh, but a lot of the times you're like, okay, everything's cool right now. I am making a mad dash for that weak point. And if this thing decides to do a barrel roll or, you know, another one, if it decides to try to swap me off, uh, it's going to hurt if, if, uh, if it decides to do one of those things. Uh, so man, I mean, just this epic feeling of like taking down this, this giant creature, uh, in these fights, it's, it's something else. Those, those few moments where you decide to let go of the grip button and to just like run across its back. Mm-hmm. Those are so consistently thrilling to me. Like, yeah. That is such a cool feeling of just like throwing caution to the wind um, in order to get the job done. Uh, yeah. Really good stuff. It is. And it's time to talk about the other thing that lends to this totally epic feeling in these uh, Colossus fights, uh, which is the, uh, the music uh, during this, which we've mentioned before, but the music in Shadow of the Colossus is... Man, it's absolutely best in class. It's really hard for me to think of a, a like a better overall score in in a video game. It's incredible. So like the individual parts of it all sound really really good. But what you brought up earlier in the episode is that it's dynamic. And so when you begin a fight against a colossus, you will get this kind of, you know, it's a little bit upbeat, but it's not super epic yet. And then when you figure out how to grab onto it, the music will change. Now you're climbing up this thing and the music is changed and it's much more epic and much more dynamic. I can hear it in my head as I'm saying this right now. And when you get up to like the weak point, I think it will change again or like different stages of the fight have different music uh, as you do Mm -hmm. it. And it's kind of a clue of like, okay, I'm, I'm on the right path because the music is, is up now. Like I'm, I figured this out. I'm I'm doing the right thing. And it's this big build to like this totally epic music playing when you're in the background uh, or playing in the background when you're climbing up, you're running across the back of this flying thing or you're hanging on for dear life as it's trying to shake you off of the top of its head or something like that. And so like this battle music and the way that it changes through different stages of the fight is super super unique and again no other, certainly no other game that I played at this stage uh, of my, like in 2005, the games I was playing at the time were not doing stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, uh, there were other games that were like, this isn't the first game 
to do a dynamic soundtrack and I don't want to, to act like it is, but it's one of the early examples and it's one of the ones that like, I feel like after all this time just holds up incredibly well from like the, the, the apprehension of the initial approach to like the like excitement of starting to get the upper hand to the like absolute soaring of like triumph as you figure it out as you solve the puzzle and you land the final blow and then immediately to that like very melancholy yeah. uh, uh, denouement. Really pulls the rug out from under you as soon as that, as soon as it starts to tumble down or when you strike the killing blow. Uh, it really reinforces that like, whoo, that was cool, but mm, I don't feel great about what I've done. Yeah. Weirdly, like a, a comparative moment that uh, came to mind was in the the movie Hellboy Two: The Golden Army, where okay. um, <laughs> there's a, which is a great film directed by okay. Guillermo del Toro. Okay, um, but uh, at one point in it, uh, Hellboy is t- tasked with you know fighting this giant plant monster, and the bad guy is like, "Are you really going to kill this thing? It's the last of its kind. Like it is this beautiful thing." Like. And in the end, it's like, you know, the choice between this thing and his friends, and he has to pull the trigger, and, like, it is tragic. Like, it is not something that is, you know, heroic. He doesn't feel good about it. And, like, that is very much the feeling every time you kill one of these colossus. And the music the music just really reinforces this. If you didn't already feel bad, then the the music that plays during the scene where the Colossus dies and what happens afterwards, which we'll, we'll save, just really reinforces that feeling that, like, you're not doing a good deed here by taking these things down. Like, this is... The world would have been fine with these things alive. These are not terrorizing the countryside or something like that. Not only would it have been fine, it has been fine. You are <laughs> for a long explicitly time. <laughs> and textually an invader in this space. Like you are coming and being an aggressor to these things that have been living peacefully right. for who knows how many centuries, you know, since before the buildings crumbled. Like, yeah, it is really and this is a lot of what i'm talking about when it's like that time to reflect is just like thinking about your role in the world and what you're doing and the ultimate the the place that these things have held in the world and uh, i don't know there's just it big feels in this game like this is a game that really makes me feel a lot of things it's a roller coaster of emotions throughout yeah yeah In- incredible score like it's something that you can listen to on its own you know i think it totally holds up very melodic orchestral stuff um mm-hmm. it doesn't get lost in itself it doesn't it's just it's very it's telling you how to feel but i'm like just completely on board with it phenomenal compositions that just I feel like I'm repeating myself. I love this score. This is uh, one of the best scores in games. It is. It's very good. And like like you said, you can listen to this and super, you can enjoy it outside of the context of the game because it, it's really good melodic music. But mm. within the game, it serves its purpose as like, you know, reinforcing the mood or, 
you know, atmosphere of what's happening uh, better than a lot of games uh, do. You know, a lot of games have these scores that, like, you know, we have a really epic song uh, during a boss fight, right? Or we will have uh, this, you know, laid back music when you're exploring. And that's just kind of like what, you know, game music sounds like. Boss fight music sounds like boss fight music. But in here, it really does match like that roller coaster of emotions that you're going on throughout the course of each boss fight and then after each boss fight uh, really, really well. And, you know, not to like, you know, other video game soundtracks are incredible. I'm not saying that like they don't do their job really well. This just feels like it's a little bit more connected to like the exact thing that you're doing in the game than mm-hmm. a lot of game soundtracks do. It's it's real good. Yeah. It has an incredibly strong sense of identity and also similar to like um, Portal 2 in the way that that dynamic soundtrack just reflects everything that's going on and just like feels directly connected to your actions. Like there's a very tangible cause and effect that happens with the music. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess this is a good time to like get into a little bit of like discussion on the versions of this game. Uh, the the PS2 version, the PS3 remaster, and then the Bluepoint remake. Um, and the music is other than the controls and visuals, of course, as you would expect for a game in 2005 and a game in 2018. The music and sound design was one thing that like I played the Bluepoint version. I really love the way this game sounds. I love the soundtrack as we've just talked about. When I fired up the PS3 version, I immediately noticed like this sounds different. This sounds darker and muddier and more the the music and the sound design has more oomph to it, more impact. And I don't know if that's because of technology reasons you didn't have unlimited space for audio in Mm -hmm. an older game uh you know on a on a cd or something like that i don't know if that's the reason um or i don't know if they just made a concerted effort to make it sound cleaner in the blue point version but i did notice that was one of the most striking things when i fired up the ps3 version where i was like this sounds different and I can totally understand why someone would prefer the way the old version sounds because it does like really play into this like ancient setting that you have here. It sounds ancient in the old version of the game more so than the blue point version. So that's, I guess that's the first like really striking difference between them other than the obvious, like the blue point version feels more modern and looks more modern. It also sounds cleaner and i'm not sure that's a great thing so i have not played this remake um i am very curious now to go and compare and contrast those soundtracks and i wish that i had known that there was that big of a difference because i would have listened to it before this episode um so i can't speak to that on shadow of the colossus but i can speak to that on blue points demon souls which right right obviously shares a lot of similarities and Um, for me like I, I echo your sentiments where I vastly prefer the original soundtrack. In almost all of the cases, um, Blue Point's work in the Demon Souls remake, I think, takes it to a more conventional place. They, they want it to feel a little bit more bombastic. They want that cleanness. 
And I feel like they just like kind of sand too many of the edges off and you lose some of that, um, that identity to me. Um, you know, uh, minor spoilers for, for the Demon Souls remake, but, um, the, the King Alant boss fight, I think that listening to those two pieces of music from the original and from the remake is like such an incredibly stark contrast because the, in the original, it is this solo organ and it's just the solo organ. There's no other Mm -hmm. instrument. Um, and it's playing the original song from the, the intro, uh, the intro cinematic, which in the intro cinematic, it is this big bombastic orchestral with a choir and it's got all the instruments. And this is just like totally pared back, totally stripped back solo instrument. Um, you know, reminiscent uh, to something like Gwyn or uh, Murgo's Wet Nurse with these very minimalistic instrument palettes that they're using. Right. And then in the Demon Souls remake, they just kind of made it big again. They just added a lot of instruments, which feels like it misses the the spirit of the thing. So, I, again, uh, it's not fair for me to judge this game uh, if I haven't thoroughly listened to the soundtrack and form my own opinion, but that's where I come on Blue Point's other work. Yeah, like, just go check out the Blue Point, like, the remake soundtrack. Like, I don't think they made as big changes as what you're describing in the Demon Souls remake. I don't think they made that big change, but it does sound very clean. And mm. atmospherically, I think it works really, really well in the original for this empty, abandoned, crumbling setting that you're going through uh, in the entire game and this lonely feeling that you have. It's almost oppressive, whereas I would describe the Blue Point one as like beautiful. Uh, and mm-hmm. they're two different vibes, uh, for sure. So like going into the PS3 version and playing a little bit of it, I can see why Sony wanted to remake this game instead of just porting, remastering over and over again. Like, I I can see it. Because comparing the way the two feel, the new version does feel a lot better for a modern gamer such as I. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can see why they wanted to remake this game, but like going back to the PS3 version, I was kind of expecting it to be a lot rougher than it was, especially once I switched the camera. I kind of got the feeling like this game didn't need to be remade. And this wasn't a this wasn't a Demon Souls thing where I think they remade Demon Souls because it was on the PS3 and they had for whatever reason decided that they are not touching that. They're not putting it on PS now. They're not going to remaster it. They are like literally forgetting about that. And they decided to remake it to bring it to the modern console. Shadow of the Colossus didn't have that problem because it's on PS now, the service they're trying to sell people. They could, I feel like they could have been like, Hey, you want to play Shadow of the Colossus? Sign up for PS now. It's on here. You can, you can play it. Uh, but they decided to remake it. And so like another game that I'm, I'm my, my thoughts are real scrambled, right? another game I'm playing right now, I'm playing the last of us. And when I'm playing it right now, I'm very much thinking like, 
I can see why they want to remake this. This is not very fun to play, in my opinion. I like the story and stuff like that. The gameplay in the first Last of Us game, not a big fan. I can see why they would want to bring this up to the way The Last of Us Part 2 looks like it feels to play. With Shadow of the Colossus, though, I did a few Colossi in the old version, and I was like, this feels fine uh, once I switched the camera. Like, this doesn't feel like an old game that needed a remake. Final Fantasy VII's another one. Uh, like, <laughs> modernize this game. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. I don't want to get into that. But the point is, I don't feel like Shadow of the Colossus needed a remake. I think the old version is fine. So if you're listening to this and you've never played it, and you have a PS2 or PS3, the old version of Shadow of the Colossus is just fine. It's real good. In fact, I think it may atmospherically hit some levels that the Blue Point remake doesn't hit, even though the Blue Point remake may feel a little bit better. And obviously, it looks much more modern. That was a long-ass rant to arrive at that <laughs> point. <laughs> so I'm going to slightly digress. If you're familiar with, uh, there's a Twitter account, at uh, CRT Pixels. Yes. What they do is they take pixel art, which sometimes with modern eyes on modern screens we look at and we go like, eh, this looks a little weird. And then mm-hmm. they apply a correct filter to it to emulate what it would have looked like at the time and like gosh what a world of difference that can make like in smoothing over these things and like really showing that these people were crafting to the medium that they were using so for my money which uh i have bad opinions that no one should listen to i think that (laughs) if you somehow are able to play this on the playstation 2 with a crt tv that is probably like the best way to really get the atmosphere that um that they were driving towards i think it still looks remarkable um especially with that little bit of fuzz to kind of hide the sins yeah (laughs) With, with that said i i would never tell anyone uh that the the remake is a problem that you shouldn't play that um by all accounts it looks like it's very faithful to me, this just gets into, like, philosophically. Um, I'm kind of philosophically opposed to the Blue Point remake because I personally don't quite understand why you would want to remake something with this level of faithfulness. Um, you know, there's kind of the, the famous experiment that they did where they remade Psycho shot for shot. It's the same movie with the same shots and the same beats and the same dialogue. And it's it's just worse. It's worse across the board. Because mm-hmm. there are so many little like ineffables that are belong to to media that like even when you are trying to directly copy something, it's really hard to capture like that spirit often. Um and so for me, if if I'm going to play a remake of a game, you know, the, the Resident Evil 1 remake on the GameCube or Resident Evil 2 uh, remake are much closer to what I want. I want someone to take those original building blocks and then, like, take it in a, a, in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Like, play within the sandbox. Keep the spirit of the thing. The spirit is far more important to me than 
faithfulness and fidelity to the original. Like, I'm one of those sick freaks who, like, watch the RoboCop remake <laughs> just because I'm I'm really interested in seeing what those filmmakers saw in the original that they wanted to bring over, what they wanted to change. Like, the process of adaptation is really fascinating to me. And so, um, from that perspective, I just can't imagine looking at demon souls and being like, yeah, the dragon God is perfect as it is. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, if you have the opportunity to like really get in the guts to really reinvent something, why would you, why would you want to be so conservative with it? Um, is kind of my, my objection, kind of my philosophy. Um, so I feel like the Blue Point remake is too faithful. It's too loyal. And I wouldn't want them to change a lot of the things that make it so special. Like, I would, like, God, imagine if they just added a bunch of dialogue. Like, what if they added a lore right. book? Like, mm-hmm. what a nightmare. But I, I wish that they had kind of given it its own identity in a way. So yeah, the 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 Blue Point remake bums me out slightly, but I think objectively speaking, if you're coming to this new, if you're coming to this fresh, if you have modern consoles, it is almost certainly the best way to play it in in the modern day. Yeah, I I totally agree. And so like when I say I don't think this game needed to be remade, I still like if you're the average person who has a PS4 or PS5 and you don't want to stream games on PS now, uh, which the, like, like I said, at the time we're recording this, this is the way to play the old version. If you only have a PS4 or PS5, then like the blue point version is excellent. It's very good. And like I said, in my head, it is the, the game because I only spent, uh, you know, an hour or two with the old version, uh, just kind of seeing what's different. But, there is something special about that old version. I think I can see that even with just spending a few hours with it. I'm with you where I think if with game remakes, I really appreciate remakes like the Final Fantasy VII remake, where they're taking a, frankly, at this point in time, a pretty outdated form of turn-based combat even. And turn-based combat is... I don't want to say it's outdated, but turn-based combat has evolved a long way since those old Final Fantasy games. There's a wide gulf between Final Fantasy VII and Darkest Dungeon, uh, just in, in terms of pure design. You right. Know? Persona Five versus Final Fantasy VII—they they almost feel like different things, even though they're both turn-based combat. So a remake of Final Fantasy VII, I'm very glad that they changed that and they made it into this action combat, which has its own flaws. And maybe someday down the road, I'll do an episode on the Final Fantasy (laughs) VII remake where we'll talk about that too. But like, if you're going to remake an old game like that, why not, like we said, why not bring a new idea into it like that? I don't have any comment on Demon's Souls because I love the remake a lot and I never played the original one because I never had a PS3 and Sony decided that if you don't own a PS3 and you can't emulate it, you will never play the original Demon's Souls. That's a decision that Sony made. Yep. The Shadow of the Colossus remake doesn't change a whole lot 
which I guess this is Bluepoint's thing. And I would guess that Bluepoint is under orders from Sony to not really fuck with yeah. the combat and not really fuck with the gameplay too much. Just modernize the visuals, modernize the controls, maybe some new music, stuff like that, but do not change the gameplay. That seems to be like orders that they're under. Cause I have, like you said, why wouldn't you change the dragon God? Why wouldn't you <laughs> update the man eaters AI a little bit? Yeah. If they re if they do like a dark souls remake and they keep the bed of chaos exactly the same, I'm going to lose my mind. That would be really funny though. I, I would probably <laughs> laugh uh, <laughs> if I got to it and it was exactly the same, just, you know, in shiny eight K or whatever we're at, at that uh-huh. point in time. <laughs> So, so I think the last point that I want to say on the, the, the remake is that if you get the opportunity to play it, um, I think the PlayStation 3 port um, would probably be also a really excellent choice. Which, what I'm saying is that there's really no wrong way to play this game and any way that you can play it is great. But right. being able to just play it on widescreen, and I think the PlayStation 3 port has a couple of quality life improvements as well. Um my wife can attest to this, that as I was playing it, and she was with me watching it the whole time, I was just constantly going, man, I made this in 2005. Yeah. Man. <laughs> um, and having those primitive graphics, comparatively primitive, um, having that uh, old technology, like, fully on display, like, only deepened my appreciation, like, only made me more aware of, like, what a remarkable feed it was that they made it at that time on that technology yeah so so i really loved having that perspective and having those reminders of that it wasn't a modern game um that made it more special to me yeah i i definitely got that feeling too as i was you know just tooling around with the uh the ps3 version i d- i was definitely struck by that too where like the blue point version feel it it feels a little bit old in the way that the character moves and controls and you know when you jump on your horse it it definitely feels a little bit old in that way but like it feels modern in a lot of ways too and then i was again struck when i went back to try the ps3 version at how it basically felt the same uh back then so if you're listening to this and you are like me and you had only played the PS4 version of it, why not, if you have a way to play the older version, give it a try. If you have a, um, if you have a powerful computer and you can emulate uh, the strongest PS2 game of all time, <laughs> go ahead and give that a try because I, I think you're going to see a little bit of like special quality that making it making a very clean remake... Um, kind of lost i think the remake is excellent though if that's your only way to play it i really do recommend it and this is a good kind of segue into some final thoughts on uh the game before we get into spoilers i think this is an this is not a game that i would recommend for like non-gamers because i think you have to have some very good familiarity with how controllers work and how action games work to really like play Mm. through this game. But like for people who play a lot of video games, if you have a PlayStation, I think you, this is like a game that everyone has to try because there, there is really nothing like this game. Even today, 
other games like Dragon's Dogma borrowed how you can climb on monsters and stuff like that. But it's not like this. Uh, it's not at all like the feeling of playing Shadow of the Colossus. Um, the Dark Souls games borrowed the like very lonely atmosphere and even some of like the architecture and stuff like that. But playing Dark Souls doesn't feel like playing Shadow of the Colossus, you know. And other games have borrowed some kind of story beats and themes, which I'm not going to talk about right now. But in Shadow of the Colossus, it's really simple and elegant uh, in the way that they deliver it to you. So this is a really unique game. It is a recommendation for basically everyone who plays a lot of games and you're familiar with how to use a controller and how action games work. Shadow of the Colossus is a definite recommendation. I think you basically, this is like required reading. It's part of the curriculum, I think, (laughs) I say. Completely agree. Uh, I will add that uh, if you are like me and you have a significant other who maybe doesn't play a ton of games, but enjoys watching a game, this is a great game to watch. Like, Yes, it is. This is a fabulous couch co-op game you got to play it. Like, I think that's, this is like truly essential, not just in terms of being part of the curriculum, as you said, but also just like as part of it. it, It's a turning point to me. Like, I feel like this, the influence of this game is everywhere. And if you're like me and you like seeing those threads of connection and seeing how one thing influences another, like this is such a touchstone for so many developers. Yeah, absolutely. And there are certain qualities to this game that even today make it stand out from everything else. And it's like, I don't know, it's like if you can visualize a group of game designers all in an office together, making games that are, and this is not a bad thing, making games that are standardized in a lot of ways. And then Shadow of the Colossus is in, is in another room doing its own thing, like 100% doing its own thing. There's really nothing like it. Totally. This is not a game that is influenced by market forces in any way. This <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to say it. Yep. Yeah, this is, this is, this is art. I mean, it is, it is truly like a, a very cohesive vision where every piece of the puzzle like comes together in a holistic sense in a way that you just don't see it's it's phenomenally rare to see something this complete and this cohesive um because it, after the spoiler wall like i am really going to talk some sugar about the way that like just the mechanics the way that the controller the buttons that you're pressing play into like the emotion of the climax of this game because by making you engage with it by making you play like god it hits so hard like what a special game absolutely so we are going to give do a little housekeeping here and then uh we'll get into spoilers after that so uh first things first adam where can people find you uh maybe on social media if you want to plug that uh as well as your itch page Sure. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, which uh, unfortunately, just due to the nature of how I am, I take huge breaks from that. It's been like two or three months since I've really sincerely posted on Twitter. Um, but you can follow me at Twitter at Adam Bucheri, uh, A-D-A-M-B-U-C-C-E-R-I. Uh, and there you can find me 
doing my various hot takes about whatever I'm I'm playing or watching, uh, and also promoting my various games that I play on tabletop, uh, mm-hmm. which you can find on my itch.io page, uh, Adam hyphen Bucheri B U C C E R I dot itch dot io. And if you if the spirit really moves you. I also have a dedicated Discord channel where I organize tabletop games. Occasionally, rarely, I would like to do it more, but like uh, I'm just uh, busy and I don't get to it as often as I would. But mm-hmm. you can find some cool like-minded people who um, like talking about games, uh, specifically tabletop games there. And you can find that on a link uh, on my Itch.io page. Very cool. Yeah, and again, check down in the show notes for links for... Uh, yeah, Adam's Twitter, uh, the itch page, and everything like that. So for Tales from the Backlog, if you would like to support this show, the best things to do are, as always, uh, subscribing. Uh, if you found this episode to be helpful, if you've enjoyed it, please consider leaving a rating and review if your podcast platform allows it uh, and spread the good word. I also have a Discord server. I feel like everyone's got a Discord server these days, but we have uh, a Discord server for Tales from the Backlog where we have lots of cool people talking about video games. And um, also included in that Discord server is my other podcast, which is called A Top 3 Podcast, where each episode we do top three lists based on uh, just whatever we want to talk about at the time. So sometimes video games, sometimes not. Uh, At the time of recording some recent episodes, we've done our top three TV show theme songs, top three cryptids, and top three video games, top three comfort video games. I think that's what we're going to call that one. So check out a top three podcast. Join the Discord if you want to chat with some cool people. Thank you for listening this far if you're going to tap out now because you don't want spoilers. For everybody else, enjoy some music and we will be back. Okay, I'm back with Adam talking about spoilers for Shadow of the Colossus. And I think we're going to start this spoiler section by just kind of going through what happens in the story in Shadow of the Colossus. And I want to kind of start with the things that I purposefully withheld from the non-spoiler section. So you get this immediately after killing the first Colossus. And I left this out on purpose. One of the first things that kind of gave me this feeling like fuck yeah, I killed this giant thing. Oh, wait. Uh-oh. Why are there Uh-oh. black, you know, tendrils of smoke coming to get me? That's what they look like in the remake. I They looked a little bit different in the original version. You're like, you know, you're taking a strut, basically, away from the dead Colossus, almost, and then these black tendrils come and envelop you, and you're like, oh, hold on. That doesn't feel like something that should happen after I emerge victorious from a you know, an epic struggle against this Colossus. That's not good. Yeah. Um, every time you kill a Colossus in this game, uh, the Colossus itself is like slowly enveloped in like this black shadow. And then from the black shadow, these tendrils like snake out 
and then hunt you down no matter where you are, no matter how far yeah. you run. They just like seek in on you. Um, and then Wander collapses. And then there's like this kind of psychedelic, almost like 2001 esque, like, uh, yes. uh, like tunnel that you travel to. And then mm-hmm. you wake up back at the shrine of worship. And above you, um, as Wander lies unconscious on the marble floor, is one of these shadowy figures. Like, it's a man-shaped shadow. Yeah. And every time you you kill a Colossus, a new one is added to the throng. And so you just start, like, <laughs> you know, by Colossus 3 or 4, you're just like, this is not gonna end well. This yes. isn't good. <laughs> This, I, you know, after you kill the first Colossus, you're like, I don't feel great about that. But like you said, after maybe number four, there's like four of these shadowy figures like looming over you as Wanderers is kind of laying on the floor in the shrine. You're like, okay, that's, you know, that's not good. Yeah. You definitely get the feeling earlier than the game tells you that you are unleashing something that should not be unleashed basically and after every colossus there's a big bust of the colossus in the uh in the shrine mm-hmm. that bursts apart um at the beginning of these scenes and then yeah like we said earlier you are you're not doing a good deed by doing this here you just don't yeah. know exactly what's happening in addition to killing the the colossi you don't know exactly what's going on until you kill a few of them or a handful of them yeah, and then you get an inkling of it, but there, there's a very real sense that you're committed at that point. You know, you're in too deep. Mm-hmm. Something else I love about that is that there's always a very deliberate camera mo- movement. So, like, the camera frames wander lying there with this growing posse of shadows around yeah. him, and then it very <laughs> deliberately moves to show the statue, which then like, explodes in a burst of light. And then the mm-hmm. camera pans back as Wander starts getting up and the shadows are gone. And so yeah. I don't I don't believe at any point that Wander is really aware of those shadowy presences. But us as it the audience, like it, it, it functions as dramatic irony where it gives us as the audience members like this additional layer of dread. Right. And as the game progresses and as more and more of these shadows like pass through you, you know, uh, after killing the Colossus, they, they, these tendrils like seemingly go into you. I don't, I don't, I, I haven't seen how obvious it is in the remake version, but in the original, like, it's a very slow progress, but you see that Wander's body like physically begins to degrade. Like he becomes yeah. like really pallid and haunted looking like, mm-hmm. which is really, it's wonderfully subtle. They do that in the remake too. And it's it's definitely, like you said, subtle but noticeable. I noticed that mm-hmm. my first playthrough, and I'm not generally someone who would pick up on that if it's like super subtle. It's not like the difference between being human and hollowed in Dark Souls. <laughs> you know, and since it is, I assume it's a little bit each time until like, you know, maybe you've killed seven or nine Colossi and you look and you're like, oh, he's, you know, he he doesn't look okay you know yeah like it starts out with him looking like he's just like got a flu like he's just like looking under the weather and then by the time you get to like 15 and 16 like you're you're 
you look like a walking corpse almost like it's it's really like kind of grim looking like there's a sense that he's just pushing through like this physical corruption yeah and i guess that kind of frames the last few colossi in uh in a very cool way because i believe well number 16 is the biggest one and it's the biggest challenge it would be the biggest physical Mm -hmm. challenge uh for sure and i believe number 15 is the other than the last one the biggest uh one the one where you're inside of these kind of like city walls and you gotta uh, get up that way i feel like they save a lot of the bigger ones for the last uh handful i would say the 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 one in the desert that's flying through the sky and stuff like that god i love that desert one. Oh boy yeah <laughs> like what a spectacle um yeah, yeah. and then the, the final colossus is it's like fighting the statue of liberty like it's <laughs> yeah. enormous <laughs> it is that's a good <laughs> The first of all, the image of someone fighting the Statue of Liberty is very funny, but that is a good comparison for what it's like because it's it's huge. Um, I actually hate the Last Colossus as a gameplay thing. I don't think it's very fun, but like as a spectacle, it's really cool. And like it's raining, yeah. it's storming. A lot of the the Colossi fights until then are all, as far as I, know, they're either in a cave or they're outside in the daytime in the sunshine. This last one is like. It's dark, it's storming, uh, very visually striking. Yeah, uh, it looks incredible. It, and like when the camera first, like the camera frames each Colossus when you first encounter them. And this one, you know, you've, you've probably been feeling pretty bad about some of these things that you've been killing. It looks like a fucking demon. Like it's so, it, what it reminds me of is it reminds me of um, the, the, the giant demon uh, from Fantasia. Uh, the night on Bald Mountain segment, where it's just like this giant silhouetted, like dark shape, and it's it's yeah, incredibly intimidating looking. Um, and then for me, when you when you finally get up to it and you see its face, like it is just as pitiable as all of them. Like you know, you were wrong to think that it this one is evil, unlike the other ones. Like they're all tragic, and there are a couple that. I didn't feel bad because I don't like them. We can talk shit about the little lion guy. I hate that guy. I was going to say the the one that you have to like grab a torch and get him to like fall off the edge. I don't I don't feel bad for that one. The one that Easily you the worst have one. to The one that you have to kind of bait into ramming into these pillars. Um I don't really like. It's actually the two smallest ones are the ones that I dislike the most, I think. Uh, these are at their best when they're these giant monstrosities. Yeah, I think it's definitely true that the the smaller they get, the the less I like them. Um, the inverse is not necessarily true, but uh, the little guys, uh, I don't think they're fun to fight. That that lion in particular with the torch, like it just feels like you're on his back forever trying to mm-hmm. get a stab off, and he just like won't stop shaking and bucking, and it's just yeah. like ugh. <laughs> that, that one's a slog part of me was like this game is called shadow of the colossus and i'm fighting all of these giant things and then suddenly there's this this thing that's like you know three times the size of your character and i was like ah oh, this uh you know i i guess i there's a puzzle to all of these and maybe they were starting to run out of ideas for things to do with a a big dude 
So why not mm-hmm. a small dude? We can have some different puzzles here, but I didn't find them to be uh, nearly as epic as the other ones, and then al- just also yeah. not as fun. And also, this is a mechanic that, like, maybe we could have talked about uh, before the spoiler <laughs> wall, but something that I find very frustrating that, like, really comes home to roost with him is that, like, they want to give this tremendous sense of weight and impact to everything, even if it only, like, nudges your your health bar. It's really hard to lose all your health in this game. Mm-hmm. But when they do, like, there is a very long protracted animation of you laying on the ground and then slowly getting up (laughs) and i'm talking at like four or five real mississippi seconds yes like before (laughs) as you're just laying totally still before you even start getting up and so you're fighting this little like i call him a lion he might be a bull i don't know the the littlest one uh with the torch who's afraid of fire Uh, that little shit will just like headbutt you, send you tumbling. And then there's like four or five real Mississippi seconds of you mashing the get up button as he just comes and just like keeps knocking you over. And it's just like, Dorman's like, Hey, maybe you should try. And it's like, Dorman, I'm busy. I can't, I can't deal with this right now. (laughs) When I was streaming it, I, I had forgotten about that. And then the first couple times it happened, I was like, Oh, right. When Wander gets knocked down, he takes his time getting back up. And when I was streaming it, I was like, guys, I promise I'm not playing this up for drama. Like, I am mashing the buttons right now. And he legit takes, like, really takes his time to get up after being knocked down. And, like, if you fall off of a giant colossus, yeah. man, take your time getting back up. Your your organs totally. are all bleeding inside of you. But, like, uh, especially with that small one that keeps charging at you, you know, so you, you could get into these like loops of, like you said, get knocked down, take five seconds to stand up. Oh, he hit me again. I'm back down, standing back up again. Yeah. So many of the animations I think are, are tremendous in this game at instilling a sense of, of weight and impact. And in Wander's case, like a clumsiness that I love, like he yep. is just, he's a, he's a real stumbly boy. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and Colossus 3, the night when you're running up the sword and like there's just like this feeling where he's just barely in control. Like I I love that, but I feel like they should have made like a second <laughs> recovery animation for if you're dealing with those smaller Colossus because it's just uh, ooh, too long, too long. I love Wander's animation for jumping up on Agro's back. He, he, mm-hmm. he is not... Geralt gracefully getting on his horse's back. He he literally jumps and grabs and scrambles to get up on, like I would do if you were like, yeah. hey, Dave, get on top of that horse. I, that's exactly what I would look like trying to get up on top of a horse. It's, <laughs> um, man, I, I, I should have talked about this animation stuff earlier. Oh, well. Um, yeah, the, it is so good how there's a real sense through just his physicality, just through his motion, that he is just a kid. He's just a kid who stole a magic sword Mm -hmm. and doesn't really know what he's doing. Like, he's just doing his best. And throughout the whole thing, he's getting shaken around (laughs) like crazy, getting thrown off these crazy heights, and he just keeps getting back up. And the combination of those two things what it made me feel was that like he's not graceful he's not trained but what he is is he's so determined like 
his tenacity like is almost a superpower. Yeah. And and I just love that feeling. I love that physicality to that character. Yeah. It's real real good. So in the story, um I guess this is a, a decent point because this is how the game works. You get your story set up and then you kill all 16 colossi and then you get the big story moments. Well, you you get those like very minor you get very minor hints before yeah. that. So when you're going through the psychedelic tunnel uh after you kill a colossus, uh I think it's around Colossus 8, you start hearing like a female voice whispering from yeah. the other side and mm-hmm. it's just like, "Oh, it's whatever her name is. I want to call her Yorda, but that's the girl from Ico, I think." So, uh Mono is her name. Mono. And just like feeling like, oh, you're you're traveling like tangentially through the other world, through the afterlife, and like you know she's getting closer. Um, like that was really compelling to me. Yep. Is this thing working, or is this kind of some kind of hallucination? You know, brought on by the the black smoke monsters that are you know possessing you after each victory. Totally. And is it going to be a case where it's like, oh, you'll get to be with your dead girlfriend? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because you will be dead also. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like, whether or not Dorman will keep his word is really, like, a lot hangs on that question. And when I talk about, like, those, those long rides and thinking about things, like, that's something that was always on my mind, is like, is Dorman true to his word? Can... Am I doing all of this for nothing? Um, mm-hmm. is, is a really fascinating question to be asking. Yeah. One of those situations where you're like, you know, I don't know if I can trust this guy, but I don't have any other choice. You basically mm-hmm. have to trust him. Uh, otherwise, you know, nothing else is going to bring her back if that's the ultimate goal here. So, yeah. Yeah. And and again, you're you're in too deep. Like it's too late to turn back. Like going forward is the only way to go. Mm -hmm. Yep. So before we get into the story climax, um, let's do, you know, you know, my brain is broken in a lot of ways, but one specific way that my brain is broken is that I I cannot really talk about things without putting them in top threes. So uh, let's do a little lightning round top three colossi. All right. I will let you go first. I'm going to say for my top three, I'm going to say uh, Colossi number three, the knight. Um, uh-huh. With the sword? He, with the sword. Because, like, I think he's a good fight, but also he's the dorkiest one. Like, he's such a little <laughs> doofus. He's got a dumb uh-huh. face. He's got those little ball feet. I love him. He's a sweet boy. <laughs> he is pretty dorky. Yeah. Picturing him in my head. Yeah. He's great. Love his design. Uh, similar to, uh, you know, Bonfire Side Chat constantly talks about, like, the bravery to make dorky monsters, to make things mm-hmm. not cool. Like, yeah. some of these colossus are not cool in a way that I love. They're they're goofy, yeah. The next one is, I believe, Colossus number five, the bird. Um, yeah. The physicality of that, like, the kineticism of being on its back and just the sense of speed to me is incredible. And when you stab into its wing and then it does like a panic barrel roll, I'm like, oh, that's, that's an incredible feeling. Mm-hmm. That bird is, that bird is really cool. And when you said it, that was my first thought was like, 
they manage to make you feel like you're hanging on the wing of an airplane. You know, what you would imagine that to be like, the speed and the wind and how just precarious of a situation that is. Uh, They made you really feel that. And the way you get onto it is really cool too because you have to shoot Mm -hmm. it with an arrow and then as it flies toward you, you have to jump and grab onto its wing with the right timing. And it's not hard, but it's it's cool. It's very fun. And then... Uh, number one, I think I got to give it to, I want to say it's Colossus number 13, um, which is the giant flying sandworm. Yes, which, in the desert. As far as spectacle goes, like, it is just unbeatable to me. Like, it's so huge. And then it, f- seeing it come down and skim the sand um, mm-hmm. is just incredibly cool. And then, you you know, you grab onto this flipper. And that's not the end of it. What happens is like it flies up and then it kind of levels out. And then you have to do this jump from the flipper to the body itself. And making you do that little jump is just like. It's it's real tense, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like uh, my my I, I catch my breath every time. Yeah. That was one of the ones earlier when I was talking about like that, you know, I can see the weak point. And I want to get there before it decides to do something. So I'm going to let go of the climbing thing and I'm going to yes. sprint across its back. Yes. And, and if this thing decides like this is the second where it's going to dive down, then I'm fucked. But it's that risk reward thing that really that thrilling few seconds of going for that weak point. That's a good, uh, good one. Yeah. Let's see. I guess for my top three, um, I really like the first Colossus. I think it's a really good mm-hmm. like introduction for what this is going to be like. Uh, it's not not super challenging. Um, you really, I don't know, it's just a good almost tutorial. This game doesn't really do tutorials in the way that we think about them now, but it's a very natural tutorial for what you need to do. They teach you how to climb before you do that. You have to climb up some ledges mm-hmm. to get to the first Colossus, and then they teach you about climbing up on them. So I guess that'll be my number three, the first Colossus. The desert sandworm, the one the one that's flying, you have to shoot the air sacs. Um, mm-hmm. One of the only ones that requires you to shoot a bow on horseback. And mm-hmm. that could have been really terrible just with the way the controls work in this game sometimes. That, that was almost asking too much, but I, I really do like that one a lot uh, from a spectacle. Um, and let's see, I like the one in the, uh, in like the temple, the one with the big beard, you have to get it to like bend yeah. down and you can jump up onto its beard. I really like that one. That one feels a bit more puzzly than some of them do, but I really enjoy it. And just a big, again, goofy, a giant Colossus with a big goofy beard. Why, why would he have a beard. big beard? But I love it. <laughs> yeah. Great design. Yeah. Uh, special shout outs. I don't like this one very much, but I do yeah. want to just shout out the design to the one that's in the big lake and it's got a crown of teeth on its head. Yes, like, that one's very creepy. And the way you can get up on its head and steer it around by smacking its teeth with your sword and that my teeth are itching thinking about that right now, but very weird. Bad, very bad goofy. sentence we said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a couple that I think are cool ideas, but like just in practice, they're not very fun. Like the uh, the one 
the one that's like a big turtle that you have to get to stand over the mm. geysers that will like kind of push it on its side. I hate that one, like playing it, but I mm. love turtles. So that's a cool design. Um, we talked about the little guys. I don't really like the little ones that much. And the last Colossus, I really don't, I really get frustrated in that one. Cause if you fall down, man, heaven forbid you fall all the way down that thing. Yeah. It is a long way to fall. Uh, again, it's the size of the Statue of Liberty, and it's shooting yeah. lasers at you. Um, but, like, uh, I have a hard time resenting that last one just because the spectacle of that one really does work on me. Particularly, again, like, just feeling, like, how intimidating and how, like, demonic it looks. And then when you finally get up on it and you you get on its hand and it just holds you up and like looks at you quizzically. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's confused. Like, yeah. It's like, the, what is this thing? The range of emotions that the Colossus exhibit um, is, is masterful. And I love that one. I love just like, ultimately, like I feel like it feels very innocent. Like it's just, you know, if it's shooting lightning at you, it's just because it's in its nature, but it just, it doesn't know any better and it doesn't, it doesn't understand, you know, the harm it causes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Also a sweet boy. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, one other one that I think is like the design is kind of forgettable and the puzzle is not very fun is the one where you're in like it, it's like this burial mound and you have to go mm-hmm. under it and then. Yeah it'll like look down in there and then you go back on top and jump on it. I don't like that one. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the horse is not, um, not, not a great puzzle to me also because like this playthrough, I knew I had to like go down under it, but I couldn't remember. I was just like waiting in the thing, but you have to like really give it the runaround in order to get yeah. it to look down. So I was Same. just like, come on, just look, look in the thing. I know you're going to do it. Like, come yeah. on. Aren't you curious about what I am and where I am? Come on, dude. But yeah, I agree. Not not super fun. But even so, like, it's still hard for me to be real mad because I'm like, oh, it's curious. It just wants to know, like, what's up with that little guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a fucked up little guy running around. Like, what's going on with that? <laughs> this is a game with uh, lots of fucked up big guys and one mm. very fucked up little guy running around. Earlier today, I had the epiphany of there's the the dumb, you know, meme about, you know, you get a million dollars, but there's a snail that will chase you forever. And I'm uh-huh. like, this is a game where you play as the snail. You're just this tiny little, yeah. <laughs> tiny little monster, uh, but you are inevitable. Like, <laughs> yeah, no matter how long it takes. All right. So in the story, and this leads into a question that I, I I've been thinking about the last couple of days. So in the story, you, you, re- you find out that the Colossi are containing a piece of Dorman. So each Colossi is containing one sixteenth of Dorman's life force or something like that. And they were split yeah. up and sealed in these Colossi to contain Dorman uh, by whoever was able to do this in the past. And that's why Dorman wants you to kill the Colossi so you can release these pieces of itself. And that kind of got me thinking. And earlier you were talking about like how some of the Colossi feel organic, like there's one that looks like a big monkey. And mm-hmm. some of them, like the last one, is 
a big tower, basically. And there's some of them look like they're made of stone. And it, it just makes me wonder, like, were the Colossi already there and they were chosen to contain this like life force or were they constructed purposefully to contain this life force? Because some of them feel like they could have just been these big monsters, these big life forms, but then some of them are very clearly artificial in a lot of ways. So I was thinking about that. And I don't know, I, I kind of land on the Colossi feel, now they feel to me like they were purposefully constructed to contain this. Yeah, that's a that's a really kind of fascinating question. And then that also leads into it, at the Shrine of Worship, there are the 16 effigies of right. the Colossi, which are also clearly connected. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what what are the logistics of how these are created? And I don't have any specific answers because I don't think there are specific answers to give, but like it does create some very evocative imagery of like ceremonies with them, you know, carving up this demon into pieces and then (laughs) placing them into these stone, these stone idols. And in my, in my head canon kind of, they, they put them into the stone idols at the shrine of worship hoping that they would just be contained within the statues. But then, I don't know, like, they they are able to project themselves into the world. So to me, like, I don't know, I feel like they are almost, like, they created themselves, or, like, these pieces of Dorman formed the Colossi um, kind of independently, but, but still bound to the shapes of the statues. No real evidence to support that, but that's just like the evocative thing that uh, sure. that comes to my mind. Yeah, and I, w- I was just going to say, like, whatever your own personal idea or canon for like how these things were made, that's probably because they don't give you an answer, and I don't really want an answer for how the colossi are made. They just are, yeah. and whatever thought you have in your head for how they were made that's probably cool and it's good enough and it's definitely good enough for me that like the game doesn't tell you the game is just like yes this is they are here they are containing one sixteenth of dorman's power or dorman's soul or whatever and that is it that is all we're telling you that's cool with me but um yeah it's interesting like did someone construct these colossi? Are they projections, like you said? That is uh, very, very cool. And th- this is the type of world you see a little bit of magic at the end. This is the type of world where that sort of thing doesn't seem too much of a stretch to be real. Like someone could have just created these with magic. There's very powerful magic being shown later. Why not? I, I think. I think. In I might be mistaken, but I think in the opening cutscene, there is like a, a throwaway line of some kind, which is to the effect of like, there is not much magic in the world except for here, this place that we have sealed away. Mm-hmm. And so that's additionally compelling to me that like outside of these walls is this very kind of low magic setting where there might be a magical sword or might be these like special artifacts, but like... Other than that, like, magic is this forbidden thing that's just sealed away. And so by traveling to these lands, like, it's truly this 
alien and fantastical thing. I I always love that as like a a fantasy idea, the idea that there is magic where there was magic, but now it's either it's sealed away, it's forbidden, or it's been forgotten, or it has left entirely. Uh, I always really enjoy that. So in this story, as you go along, you start to get these cutscenes maybe halfway through, very short cutscenes of people uh, that are tailing Wander, uh, trying to catch up to him. They've, I assume they're from his, his tribe or something like that. You know, they, he's missing, the magic sword is missing, oh shit, we gotta go. We gotta yeah. try and catch him. They are agents of some kind of authority, like the mm-hmm. the kind of lead guy has this uh, spiritual mask that, you know, feels very ceremonial. Yeah, and the the people that he's with, you, you see them in action later, they're soldiers, at the very least, they are soldiers of some kind. And then mm-hmm. he, the main, uh, the leader of the group, it feels to me like, again, some kind of uh, tribal chief or shaman or something like that, because he he's the only other person you see doing any kind of magic um, later. And this is not something I saw in the game, but reading about it, maybe this is another thing that d- the developers had said, or maybe maybe this was in another game, I can't remember, but that Mono had been sacrificed for mm-hmm. some reason, and we don't really get the relationship to Wander. It's if it's a girlfriend or a sister, they don't tell you in this game. Maybe the developers yeah. have stated that. Do you know? No, uh, I don't know. And if there's an answer, I don't want to hear it. Like I like yeah, fair the ambiguity where it's it's you know it doesn't matter the nature of the relationship. Just that this bond is strong enough that he's willing to you know to make this devil's bargain. Right. It being a girlfriend or a sister or just a young woman in his, you know, village or whatever doesn't really, it wouldn't change anything in the story. He's willing to do this for her. So anyway, um, had you heard that thing that she had been sacrificed uh, before? I I think in the opening cutscene, he mentions that she was sacrificed. Okay. But the nature of that and what that means is very unclear. We don't see any wounds on her. She doesn't look obviously harmed. She doesn't look like, you know, <laughs> she she's a an old corpse ready to be buried, you know. Right. She she still has like a vitality to her which like does also raise interesting questions to me about like what the nature of this sacrifice is, like what mm-hmm. what they took from her. Yeah. So I guess we're getting to the end of the game and before we get the conclusion to Wander and Dorman's story, we get a very powerful and sad scene that uh, where Agro falls down off of a collapsing, um, like a collapsing bridge. Mm-hmm. I think it is. Um, Agro falls down at the same time. Like Agro has been your only companion through this whole game. 
Uh, I love Agro. Yeah. He has more personality than most horses do in video games. He he totally. definitely feels like a stubborn son of a bitch sometimes, <laughs> and in a lovable way, you know, in the same way that like my dog is super cute and super funny when he's ignoring like what I'm trying to do. I'm like, ah, come on, you little piece of shit, you know, but in a lovable yeah. way. Agro feels that same way. There, there are, so Elden Ring has come out now and you have a horse in that game and it basically just feels like a, a seamless extension of your character that's just yeah. as responsive and mobile as you are. And uh, playing these two games simultaneously, like a real contrast, Agro really has a mind of his own. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, feels like such a character because of that um yep so so yeah uh it's when you are en route to the last colossus you're you're right at the threshold and you cross this bridge which then collapses behind and aggro kind of bucks you to safety and yep. then and then falls, falls falls into a river um yep and i mean the first time that i played it like that was a devastating moment like yeah just feeling the loss of like genuinely your only companion the only other person in this whole land who's so essential to your survival and your success and it's just like it feels like losing a limb and i don't think we mentioned it but um on the controller there's a dedicated call your horse button yeah and so (laughs) you know just having like I don't know. The only thing I can kind of compare it to, I think, is like Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons, where like mm-hmm. suddenly you you are part of your controller feels like it's been cut away. Yeah, I've played Brothers, but for people who haven't played, well, we'll save that. But because that isn't that's another powerful moment like this. I, I always kind of felt I, I felt this a little bit more than losing. I feel like every game where you have a horse other than Elden Ring, you know, the horse goes down at some point. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a pretty standard story beat for games that have prominent horses. Except for the It's Witcher. a trope for sure. Yeah. Yeah, don't you dare touch Roach. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite things about Geralt is that when Roach dies, he just buys a new horse and names it Roach. Just gets it a new, just gets <laughs> so, a new Roach. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, in this game, like, so every time you wake up in the shrine after you know being enveloped by the shadows and then the shadows are standing over you and you get this feeling aggro always walks up the steps and greets you when you when you're ready to set out again you're like okay whatever i just saw that was fucked up but my buddies here were ready to go out uh, and get the next one and then when he falls and yeah that is a good point he doesn't just fall he bucks you off of him to get you to the the cliff edge and then he falls yeah it's a reverse Yoshi. Yeah, <laughs> the reverse Yoshi. I, uh, I that was like Homeward Bound when, uh, when you thought Shadow dies in Homeward Bound. If you've mm-hmm. seen that, or people listening, really felt that. I don't want to say more than all the other horse deaths in video games, but it was certainly one of the most affecting ones because in most of the other games, you're not alone with your horse. This, this is truly Wander has now lost his only friend, his companion. He is now alone trying to go do the last, uh, kill the last Colossus. Which again, that that last Colossus is so like frightening looking and intimidating. And, and this wound of losing your horse is like, so 
so raw. It feels like they really are trying to get you to, like, hate this last Colossus, that you really want to just, like, fuck this guy. Like, yeah, they're they're trying to provoke something in you. And you do get a little bit of, like, Wander takes a second and kind of mourns the fact that Agro fell, but he very quickly, he's like, okay, moving on. Like, he, he's very driven at this point to go get this done. Yeah. You're in too deep. Can't stop now. Yep. So that was a very good uh, good moment. And then, yeah, getting to kind of the the climax here, when you... and this was this was absolutely wild the first time. So after you beat the last Colossus, all of those shadow figures that have been like standing over your body this whole time, they uh, possess uh, Wander just as the, you know, authorities get there. They catch you finally, but it's yeah. too late. And and crucially, this is like the fulfillment of the bargain. We don't know if Dorman has fulfilled his end of the bargain yet. Right. And so, like, it's teetering in the balance where, like, he has been possessed and suddenly there's this new conflict and it might all be for nothing. Yeah. So, well, if you're listening or if you've forgotten, if you haven't played or if you've forgotten, um, you are, Wander, is kind of absorbs all these shadows and grows into this black uh, demonic figure that is now towering above all of these small people. The roles are reversed from the mm. whole game up until now. And I didn't know this my first playthrough. And the the reason I know I didn't know this is I got a trophy on my replay for doing this. But you can attack the um the little dudes. You have like a you know mm. like a fire breath attack. You can like swipe down at them. It's very hard. It's very clumsy to control this, you know, monster. Yeah. But you can attack them, and I don't know if you can kill all of them. I don't know if they're too fast, but you can definitely try. Yeah, um, you are. Incre- it is fascinating to have the the roles reversed because you are used to being the small, nimble thing that can get out of the way, and now you are so slow. And your your every attack you do has such a huge wind up, and you just watch, you know them scramble out of the way from your your clumsy fists and it's it's a really fascinating feeling to just have the shoe be on the other foot uh and to have it expressed through play yeah and i was just gonna say like i don't know if it's a video game mentality thing or if it's something that the story naturally made me want to do i don't know why i i as a player my first thought was kill these little dudes but that was what my thought was was you know Kill, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is just video game conditioning from playing video games for, you know, 30 years or whatever, but that was my first thought. My first thought was not, oh God, I'm the bad guy. I need to let them put me down. That was not what I thought. I was like, these guys, I'm going to flame breath these motherfuckers. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in too deep. You're too committed. Like, yeah, what's happening to you is horrible, but like, there's a very distinct set impression that there's part of wander still in there still in this this shadow monster and Mm -hmm. you know me personally like i was desperate to keep them away from from mono like i needed to protect her this bargain needed to be fulfilled it can't we can't have gotten this far and not bring her back Mm -hmm. and so yeah like just 
me role playing and being in that perspective, like I was doing everything I could to to push them back. Yeah, it's it's a very good thing that I I only even thought about in hindsight. Like in the moment, the decision to attack the soldiers was extremely obvious. There was no second guessing that. No, and also I just want to say that like from um aggro falling onwards. Yeah. Um this is maybe the strongest expression of like storytelling through mechanics that I can mm-hmm. think of in games of just like them putting it in your hands and having you feel what's happening because of how you are playing, how you are interacting between losing the 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 horse button on your controller and then mm-hmm. becoming dormant and doing this through play and then this this final moment that we're going to get to very shortly which is just i mean for me one of the most powerful like play experiences um that are out there like i i'm sure i'm not alone that i have just like a little google doc where every once in a while i'll like make an outline for a game that I'm never going to make, you know, it's just, it's just a fun <laughs> thought experiment of like, Oh, let's do this. And we'll like, let's play around with some controller mapping and think of some mechanics and how they would, you know, it's just a fun thought experiment. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it's, it's never intended to go anywhere, but in those, I'm always thinking of how can you take this core mechanic of your game and turn it, recontextualize it and turn it into something emotional and something powerful. And I'm always thinking of shadow of the Colossus. It's very, very good. And so like that last moment that you're that you're alluding to um, the magic man, the the shaman or, you know, the, the wizard guy, whatever he is, he sees what's going on. Um, he uses this spell to there's like there's a well in the shrine uh, that you, you can't really do anything with in the game. Well, well, he takes your sword. He takes the magic sword of light. Yeah. that you had and channels this spell through it because yeah you've discarded it as dorman dorman uh has no use for this magic sword uh so he kind of casts this spell uh that opens up this i don't know this well of light you know purity basically and you are being sucked uh, into it. Uh, Dorman is being sucked into it, and it it burns the shadows off of you until it's right. just it, it's just Wander. But like at this point, Wander's corruption is so complete that he's just you know barely even recognizable. Though, yeah, even though the shadow has been burned away, Wander doesn't look like a human really anymore. He he looks mm. he looks demonic. I think he even has horns at this point, like on his head. Mm. Um, and his eyes are all, you know, crazy and stuff like that. He's got these lines across his skin. And so as this like well of light is pulling you in, you you're in control of this and like I thought this was a cutscene the first time I played, but you're actually you can resist the pull of this light that's trying to suck you into this kind of well and you you're in control. And so you can use the climb button, I think, to kind of like brace yourself so you don't get pulled in quite as easily. Because you can try to run, but Wander will stumble just like you've stumbled all those times throughout the game. Um, yeah. And if you hold that climb button, you'll kind of brace. Yeah, you're, you're just mechanically, 
Like you are just holding on for dear life, just trying. And it's really significant that like you have this long hallway uh, and it's pulling you away from from Mono, from the girl on the right. this altar. And mm-hmm. I mean, just an expression of like desperately clawing <laughs> for every inch, trying to get back to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're fighting against the inevitable. You know, you are just getting dragged into this this swirling portal that they've made that's going to seal you away and you know you're going to be lost and again you don't know if the bargain has has been fulfilled i guess i guess i always assumed that it would because stories have happy endings you know most of the time i assumed that it would but you're right like had it cuz it cuz it is fulfilled she does wake up um, hmm. had she not woken up and it just turns out that you've been tricked by this demon, I would have loved that. That would have been cool. Um, but it does work out. And I think it is really good that they save that until Wander's already gone, uh, when she wakes up. Hmm. Wander doesn't even get a chance to, yeah, like he doesn't even get a chance to see her wake up and know that it worked. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> I don't want to to sound, you know, cheesy. I I I don't know if I cried at this game, but like just that feeling, I just felt that really hard of like this this horror and this fear of n- him knowing that he is getting dragged away and sealed away and he he won't know. He he can't know. Um I don't know, just very powerful to me. Yeah, it it is a really powerful It's a really powerful like set of scenes at the end starting with uh well you have powerful scenes throughout the game as you know you kill the colossi but then it really aggro dies and you're like oh oh no then you kill the last colossus and uh the you know dormant is released and you knew all along or you knew for most of the journey that whatever happened when you killed the last colossus was not going to be good but I didn't know it was going to be like this. And then yeah. you get that. Then you get sucked into the light. You're not sure if Mono's going to wake up. It is a series of really emotional, like, and surprising moments for sure. And then um, after after those uh, authorities, the shamans or whatever, um, after he throws the sword into the well, um, everything starts to collapse and they right. they say you know hey we got to get out of here and you see this amazing shot of him and his posse like full bore galloping on their horses across the giant stone bridge as one by one these keystones like disappear in, in a magic light uh, causing the bridge to collapse like right on their heels um mm-hmm. and this the the hugest bridge that's ever been like just collapses completely isolating this uh this location yeah so you kind of get the feeling you get i got the feeling that he did that he is destroying the bridge whatever magic he did obviously it worked to contain the threat for now but who knows if it's going to be as strong a containment as the 16 colossi system was so his idea is like okay this cannot happen again 
we need to fully isolate this place now. So this bridge is going down. Um, that's what I got. That's the feeling I got from this. Um, and then you get this, like, you have just seen how isolated this place is going to be. And then Mono wakes up uh, afterwards. And uh, Agro returns, uh, which is a, again, this is why it really made me think of Homeward Bound. It had that exact same energy as when Shadow limps in at the end of Homeward Bound when you thought mm-hmm. he was gone. Agro mm-hmm. limps in, uh, obviously uh, going on three legs, and uh, Mono wakes up. Mono finds uh, a baby uh, with horns, uh, which I guess is meant to be Wander has been reborn or something like that. Yeah, I read it as as a reincarnation, like this kind yeah. of synthesis. Like, I I mean, to me, I think it's it's that Dorman was sealed inside Wander, and then both of them were reborn as this new thing, this this third thing. Yeah, could be. And I know that the other game, um, well, you've played Eco, right? I've played Eco. I've never played um, The Last Guardian. Same. Uh, just from what I've seen from Eco, there are people with horns in that game, right? Yeah, your your main character um, is a, is a boy with horns who is being persecuted again by this kind of nebulous authority for having mm-hmm. horns. Um, okay. So they take place in the same universe, but I I'm unsure of the timeline. I would assume that Shadow of the Colossus is a prequel, and this is like the first of the horned horn children. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. I haven't played Eco, but it is going to make an appearance on the show in the future. Um, I have a uh, tentative uh, guest for an Eco episode. I'm really looking forward to playing it now uh, after playing this. So um, I guess this is the last thing that happens in the story, and we can wrap with this unless we have something else uh, to talk about. Uh, Mono takes the baby. She and Agro kind of ascend to this uh, like secret garden that's on top of the shrine, which you can reach in the game by doing a bunch of, well, Nonsense. very creative platforming, lots of glitches and stuff like that, right? Yeah, the, the secret garden on the roof. Yeah, there's nothing up there if you reach it in the game. It's just, you know, a kind of your own reward is getting to that thing that you were trying to get to, I guess. Uh, but mm-hmm. she takes uh, the baby up there, there's some deer and very, very beautiful ending, but it's a little bit bittersweet because, you know, baby with horns, that doesn't seem good, you know, and also they're isolated in this place. The bridge is destroyed. So that's the note that they leave you on in the game. Yeah. Um, very bittersweet, but like emphasis on the sweet to me. And, you know, there is something kind of lovely and poetic about Wander enduring this unbelievable trial to to save mono and then mono mm-hmm. kind of returning the favor with this this new baby right and that's how the game ends that you don't get any further exposition on what's going on with anyone in the story that's i mean i think that stuff is playing as the credits are playing and then that's the end of the game so uh this I guess one the last question that I had, I was going to ask earlier, but then we got into what was going on. Uh, at what point did you realize that you're not doing a good deed here? And you realized that this was all going to be horrible once you completed it? I would say that probably, like, you know, after the first, the first Colossus, you know, there's the tendrils, there's the shadow. 
the -hmm. corruption hasn't become apparent yet. It's just raising questions. By the third or fourth, like, these creatures are so beautiful and it's so sad to kill them. Um, And it's just becoming increasingly obvious that, like, I mean, I think I figured out or at least speculated that they were, that the Colossus were holding these fragments of Dorman that we were releasing, you know, pretty, pretty early on. But I don't know. Uh, to, to me, it's not necessarily about the mystery, so to speak. Like, it, it's not like a twist, I don't think, by the end. I think if you get to the end of the game and you haven't figured out, you know, how bad things are going to go, then you weren't paying attention necessarily. But mm-hmm. um, that that feeling of inevitability and yet persisting in the, in the face of it, like is just one of my favorite feelings that a game can give me. And so I was I was just very happy to play along with it, just knowing that it was going to be a tragedy, ultimately, um, while still being kind of delighted by the specifics of how it ended up playing out. Yeah. I don't think I figured it out as early as that. I mean, I definitely, as soon as I killed the first Colossus, I got that intended feeling of like, fuck yeah, Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. And then I I don't think I figured out that it was each Colossus was containing part of Dorman until very, very late, maybe even after the last Colossus. And I was like, oh, okay. But I definitely like at some point in maybe the middle of the game, I started to think like that this seems to be getting worse. And whatever happens after Colossus 16. I'm not going to like what happens there. But like you said, you keep going because you are playing a video game. Your your choices are to keep going or play a different game. Wander doesn't feel like he has a choice uh, in this. And Wander is obviously going to keep going. So yeah, I really do like that. And this, the way that they accomplish such emotional story beats and such a complete and just compact story. There's really no fluff here. All the fluff that you want to talk about is because there's room for you to kind of speculate on stuff, but the game is not leaving a bunch of stuff unanswered that should be answered, you know? So the way that they tell this story with such minimal direct storytelling until the very end is really masterful and it's, it's incredible. I, I feel like there are dangling questions about like the nature of Dorman, the nature of the Colossi. Who are the people right. who are following him? But it is emotionally complete as a story. Yeah. And so, like, it, it left me incredibly satisfied from a narrative perspective. Um, while, and then those dangling questions, like, only added to the intrigue and mystery to me. Um, right. You know, it, very. I, I see the direct lineage between this and like the storytelling style in Dark Souls, um, and just those intriguing questions that feel like they do have answers. Right. Even if the game is never going to tell you the answers, there are answers. I feel like, and so yeah, that's the best. I think that's the best kind of mystery for games like this. And like Dark Souls is kind of similar for me. Like. The thing with Dark Souls is I know the answers are in the game. I just can't bring myself to read all those item descriptions. To I would rather listen to Bonfireside Chat or watch <laughs> Vadi Vidya talk about it. 
that's much easier. In this game, I, I do kind of get the feeling that someone knows the answers, but the game's not going to tell you, and you don't need to know the answers for those kind of dangling questions to get the full emotional like impact in Dark Souls. I feel like you do need to know those unanswered things to get the full emotional impact in Dark Souls. You can play mm-hmm. the whole game of Dark Souls without any emotional connection to anything that's happening. That's not how that's not how it goes in this game. I think this and I they they're probably going for slightly different approaches to it. But in this game it is so compact in like we said 6 7 8 hours maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. Um I see the lineage. Uh I don't think that they're uh, to, to to what you're saying. I don't think they're trying to accomplish the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um I am one of those degenerates who <laughs> reads every item description and just, you know, uh, I, I, I am in hog heaven with Elden Ring and all of the, the passive <laughs> and like minimal storytelling that like I feel hasn't been this strong since Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, but just the idea of like this passive storytelling of stumbling upon something and like feeling like it has a greater meaning. Like that is one of my favorite things in media. Like I love it when you get a show that feels like it rewards you for paying attention and for like drawing these connections. And that's definitely the feeling that I get here. Absolutely. And I think it's also very cool that this game works where even if you're not going through and asking the questions about like, what was this, you know, there's this Colosseum where you fight one of the Colossi. And it's like, even if you're going through and you're being like, huh, this looks like a Colosseum, cool. And you don't ask any more questions. You still get that feeling of like, there was a culture here a long, long time ago. Even if you don't continue the line of questioning, you'll still get a little bit of that impact. And the story is impossible to miss in this game. The story and the emotions that you're supposed to feel, I think, are just masterfully executed. So it's really hard for a game with such a minimalist like method of telling its story until the very end. But they tell the story, they tell so much story with so little. That's what I'm trying to get to. And it's just, it's so well done. In, in, in the world of animation, like one of the highest ideals that I feel like you can strive for is to be able to tell story without dialogue. Because if you can just tell story through action, that's a universal language. You know, you don't need words for that. It's something that just resonates really hard and across a wide group of people. And this isn't a story that's told without words, but it is told with few words. And so much of, like, the big feelings come through the play. Like, telling the story through the play at the end there, I feel is a universal language and I don't know. I just can't really understand the kind of person who would get to the end of the game and not just be desperately clawing at those stairs, trying to, to get back to trying to get back to her. Like, yeah. One of my favorite stories in games. Yep. Totally agree. Very well said. So Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Um, 
again, for such a short game, we're at about three hours of recording now. <laughs> There's so much to talk about and so much to dig into, and I couldn't, uh, couldn't think of a better guest to get into it with. So thank you so much, Adam. Yeah, incredibly rich. And like, we didn't even, you know, go Colossus by Colossus. I feel like there's no. still <laughs> far more words that we could talk about it, like, which is crazy. I feel like I could talk about this game for the length of time it takes to play this game. Yep. Like, <laughs> incredibly rich, wonderful. Uh, and it's been a huge pleasure to be on here. So thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, this has been a good time. Everybody listening, thank you for listening. Again, check the show notes for links to uh, everything that Adam is up to, as well as Tales from the Backlog and a Top 3 Podcast stuff. If you have listened this far, I appreciate you very much. I hope that you had as good a time with Shadow of the Colossus as both of us did. Or if you're listening and you haven't played it yet, even knowing this stuff, I still think that this is worth playing. Uh, you will, I think you will get some emotional impact because. You can hear us talk about these moments, but seeing it and playing it and feeling it uh, for yourself, there is a uh, there is a definite like there is still something there for you. And like even when I replayed this game, I still got some um, emotional moments. I was a little bit disconnected from it because I was streaming, which is not. This is a fun game to stream and watch, but streaming is for me. Uh, it takes me a little bit away from the game itself, but I still got some uh, some big emotional moments in here, even though I knew exactly what was going to happen. And Adam, uh, well, I assume it was the same way for you when you replay this game. Yeah, I mean, again, conservatively, this is my sixth playthrough of the game, and um, it still hits me. Like, it, it's, it works on me every time. Um, there's no amount of, like, distance or familiarity that prevents me from feeling what it wants me to feel right and that is just it's some of the highest praise that you can give a game uh games that are using interactivity and stuff to tell stories in ways that only a game could you know if yeah very much if they were to make a tv show about shadow of the colossus it would be fun to watch i'm not sure that you would get the same emotional feeling that uh, you would get playing the game, but it, you might, I don't know, There, people are professionals at making shows and stuff like that. They might pull it off, but uh, it is a very special game. So once again, thank you everybody for listening. Adam, one more time, thank you for coming on the show. This has been a blast. Everybody, tune in next time for the next game that comes out of the backlog. 